And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everybody. Not sure exactly what happened there. OBS just decided, hey, I don't want to talk to anybody yet. But there we are. Um, We're here. We're here. Everything's good. Everything's good. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jason Hunt. I am uh, the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. We are live from the bunker, coming to you from deep beneath world headquarters here at sci fi for mecom And um, I don't know. Do I sound a little hot here? Why, why is my audio kind of all over the place this week? That's That's... You do one thing, one. you make one little change, you hit one little button, and everything goes wonky. That's okay, that's all right. We'll get there. <coughs> want to say hi to everybody who is listening to this as a podcast. It is on a number of different podcast platforms. We're also live on YouTube, Odyssey, and Rumble if you want to find us over there. Sometimes... Because then you can jump in the chat and join the conversation. Or, in the third hour, you can actually call in and be part of the show. If you're here in replay, then uh, you can leave a comment. Email address live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom And there's a Discord. So you can, you can jump in the Discord as well. All right, that's all of the busy work. <coughs> Say hi to everybody in the chat. Mazers is here. Uh, Keely's here. RV Life, Michael, Stephanie. Good to see all of you here with us. Mazers says, welcome to the bunker. I have boosted your signal on Twixer. Thank you very much for that. I do appreciate it. Anytime anybody boosts the signal is always very, very, very helpful. And much appreciated. So unlike... Unlike the Oscar nominations, because those apparently are not getting appreciated very much. But we'll talk about that. Uh, it's because that's kind of a thing. It's kind of a thing because people are not really all that happy about the snubs. Credit Gerwig and Margot Robbie didn't get nominated, but Ryan Gosling did. This is exactly what the movie was about. How men are all this. I have seen another theory, though. <coughs> and the cynic that I am finds this particular theory somewhat appealing, even though it's a very cynical uh, it's very a cynical theory that the um, the chatter online in the aftermath of the nominations being being announced 
uh, have more to do with marketing than actual outrage. I just, I'm, I'm just saying because here over on Twix or IGN posting because everybody's talking about the fact that 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 Ryan Gosling gets an Oscar nomination for supporting actor, and Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, who were the driving force behind this movie, did not get nominations for director and lead actress, uh, respectively. And a lot of people have been talking about how Gosling is is a co-lead. He's not a supporting actor. Why isn't he in Best Actor? And, of course, it's because, you know, it's Barbie. And Barbie has to stand alone without Ken, right? Which is the crux of the complaint. You don't have Barbie without Margot Robbie. But now, in the aftermath of the snubs... You have a whole nother round of press and publicity and marketing fodder for this movie. Because now there's going to be chatter about how, how Greta Gerwig deserves the Oscar and how Margot Robbie deserves a, a, an Oscar. They, they at least needed to be nominated. So there's a lot of chatter now back and forth about this movie because it's going to streaming and they want people to watch this movie. It's all hype. And it's chatter about the Oscars. It's it's marketing because, you know, if it bleeds it leads. No no new bad news is still, you know, bad press is still press, right? So this gets people talking about the Oscars, the Academy Awards, because that's coming in, I don't even know when, March, I think. So you have now a controversy that doesn't involve identity politics like the last two, three years, Oscars are white. Even though Oscars are white. Look, if you're complaining, if you're a member of the Academy, if you're a voting member of the Academy and you're complaining about Oscars so white, you're the ones who are voting for all of that. The Oscars are so white because your choices. I, I don't have anything to say. The audience doesn't have anything to say for what gets nominated. The Academy does. And who are members of the Academy? The actors and the producers and the directors. And if you're going to complain about it, who whose fault is it? Keelan says, Sunday, March 10th. Thank you. There was a time back in the day when I would watch the Oscars every year. Now I don't care. Now I don't care. Not... At all. A road back in my life says, I heard Barbie cried all the way home in her dream car to her Malibu dream house. My dad. All right, so when we were kids, when the first Barbie dream house came out, this was, I don't know, 80, 81 maybe? Somewhere around there. We had just moved back to to Dallas from Little Rock and my sister she's a year younger than I am she really desperately absolutely wanted this Barbie dream house (coughs) 
Were we at... No, wait a minute. Yeah. Were we in... I don't know. Maybe we were in Little Rock when this happened. I don't remember now. It's been a day or two ago. But anyway, when the the Barbie Dreamhouse came out, my sister really wanted it. (coughs) And... Instead of buying the Barbie Dreamhouse, my dad, being the engineer and being the dad, being the cool dad, my dad built my sister a custom house for her Barbies. It was a two-story house. It had a circular, uh, a circular staircase. It had plexiglass doors that slide out to the patio, the porch, and whatnot. It had carpet. I had carpet on the on the floor on the on the on the different uh, in the different rooms. He spent a lot of time on this thing. He spent a lot of time on it. Weeks he was working on this. He built it, put shingles on the on the roof. It all, it, it, I mean, he the, the only thing the only thing this thing didn't have was power. It wasn't lit, but you know this is early eighties, you know late seventies, early eighties. We didn't have LED lights like that. But he put this thing together, and I remember. I guess this wasn't. I guess this was in Little Rock. We, she. I remember getting up on Christmas morning, and I'm heading into the living room space where the tree is set up. And I remember distinctly my sister shoving me out of the way because she was so excited because she wanted to see what 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 was in the in the in the living room under the tree. And when she saw that house right there in the middle of everything, smack down in the middle, she just <gasps> because it was better than the Barbie Dream House because Dad made it, and she was so excited. My dad's a cool dad. I try to be a cool dad. I, as my kid gets older and I get smarter, I guess I'm I'm becoming more the cool dad. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, anyway, speaking of Ryan Gosling, here's a here's a thing. <clears throat> and I don't know how I feel about this thing. And I will get your get your thoughts on this. Of course, any of the topics that I talk about here, if you have opinions on any of it, you can share those thoughts in the third hour when we go open line. So just just a note. And those of you who are listening to this podcast, jump on live sometime and you can call in and you say, hey, I got a thought about that. Ryan Gosling apparently... <coughs> rumored, let's let's call this a rumor. Matt McGloin over on Cosmic Book News has the story here. Um, Ryan Gosling could be in talks for Ghostwriter, not Nova. Okay. The actor is currently on top of Hollywood, uh, so he better be careful about si- signing with Marvel. <laughs> Uh, Ryan Gosling is a super hot commodity following the billion dollar Barbie movie and the actor is also nominated for an Oscar. So Marvel might be trying to pick him up ASAP. It has been it has recently been reported uh, Ryan Gosling has met with Marvel with various rumors offering potential characters including Dr. Doom 
I don't I don't think that would work. Or maybe even the Sentry. Recently, Scooper Daniel RPK has also said Nova. However, Gosling actually shot that back shot that down back in July of 2022, but of course things could have changed. The Nova rumor may have surfaced due to Gosling starring in Blade Runner, a futuristic dark and gritty film which could fit with Nova in the MCU depending on what they do with the character. Now this is this is being written this is being posted today. So this is recent. It, getting back to what Gosling said in 2022, back when Nova rumors first surfaced, Gosling spoke with Josh Horowitz and said the Nova rumors weren't true. Horowitz at the time treated Ryan and I chatted about the Nova rumors yesterday. He said aren't true. Here's a fan uh, a fan piece of artwork with Gosling as Ghost Rider. Uh, interestingly enough, from the article, while Gosling shot down the Nova rumors, he did say he wanted to play a character for Marvel, Ghost Rider. Uh, Horowitz says, This morning, Ryan reached out to me to say there is one superhero he wants to play, Ghost Rider. So we've got artwork here of Ryan as Go Ghost Rider. It's concept art. It's fan art. So, okay. So this is basically... This is basically Ryan Gosling saying, I'd like to play Ghost Rider. Is he putting this out in order to in order to lobby for the part? Is he putting feelers out saying, hey, I'm interested, Marvel, come look me up? Or is this uh, a trial balloon to just kind of put something out there and say, uh, what do you think, people? Do you like the idea of Ryan Gosling as Ghost Rider or not? Um, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you kind of start to wonder. Uh, let's see here. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an interesting little thing, right? Uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, posting over on Twixer today, photograph. Uh, they have wrapped principal photography or whatever, whatever, whatever round of photography they're on here on Deadpool 3. Uh, giant and forever thanks to the cast and crew of our film who battled wind, rain, strikes, and Hugh Jackman, all under the stalwart leadership of Sean Levy. I uh, got to make a movie with my closest pals, and that doesn't happen very often. See you July 26. So, between now and July, that's not, that's not a lot of post-production time. It sounds like maybe this was some pickup shots, some some reshoots, maybe. I don't know. You know, that's the way it goes. <coughs> Here's some news. While we're in while while we're in Marvel territory. See, I yeah, I'm 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 of two minds. Uh, a lot of people are sitting there because Deadpool's coming out. We've got the the rumors of X Men and and whatnot being a part of this thing. Taylor Swift is Dazzler, maybe and whatever. And Deadpool is the only Marvel 
release this year. We've got we've got Madam Web, we've got, you know, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, whatever that third that third one is. That one's coming. But this is the only Marvel proper film that they're releasing this year is Deadpool 3. And now we have word through various different places that the Netflix shows Daredevil, Defenders, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Jessica Jones are possibly now folded back into canon, which opens up a few things because uh, Marshall Ali, well, he played Cottonmouth in Luke Cage, and if he's going to play Blade, if that ever gets made, that'd be an interesting trick. Of course, I guess they could get Chris Evans to play Johnny Storm again and Captain America. <coughs> but if that's the case, uh, then you have you have some different possibilities that open up on that because they're they're like Ryan Reynolds is going to save Marvel, and and the the Netflix shows are going to save Marvel. I don't think that's the case. I've seen I've seen tweets to that effect this morning and yesterday because because of, of you know the Deadpool rapping and, and that publicity coming out I don't know that that's actually going to be enough yes we're going to get some completely new thing with Daredevil you know because the whole thing's been scrapped and let's start over again that doesn't mean it's going to be any good. That doesn't mean it's going to be any better than whatever it is that they had. Fundamentally, Marvel right now has a problem. They have a story problem. They have, for whatever ability and talent Kevin Feige has, as a producer, as a writer, as a creative person, or whatever hat he's wearing, the problem is that the people he's hiring don't have what it takes in order to create something that entertains. I can see what they're doing. Feige's hiring people that he can control, at least ostensibly what it looks like to me. Feige's hiring people who can, who can do the work. They're the journeyman craftsmen. And Feige is sitting there going, okay, this is where it needs to go. Go do that. And he's directing all of the operation. The problem is that whatever influence has got him thinking that identity politics needs to be a thing has completely demolished all of the credibility, all of the, all of the respect that we had for him and what he was working on at Marvel. It's all gone. Because he let the message get in the way of the story. And phase four is completely falling apart because of it. <coughs> How much of that is Victoria Alonso's fault? Who knows? How much of that how much of that is is Kevin uh, is uh, Bob Iger's fault? Who knows? Alan Horn? Bob Chapek? Who knows? But somewhere in there, 
somebody near the top, at the top, has the wrong priorities as far as what kind of stories Marvel Studios need to be telling. And yeah, Michael, I know Craven the Hunter is coming out as well, but that's a Sony project. That's not Marvel. That's Sony. Madam Web is Sony. Craven the Hunter is Sony. Uh, the animated Miles Morales number three is is Sony. All of that, none of that is Marvel Studios. Marvel Studios has Deadpool three, and that's it. That's all. Which is a big contrast to what they've been doing in in in, in previous years. You know, it would not be unusual to have two or three Marvel movies getting rolled out. Bob Iger has rightly dialed all of that back and said, hey, we're putting out too much. You know, that's what they say. Too much of a good thing. And we get to the point where there's oversaturation on this stuff. And then it becomes <coughs> not special. It becomes, oh, yeah, that. There, there's no anticipation anymore. There's no event. There's no, uh, there's no hype. It's oh, it's another Marvel thing. There's no excitement because it becomes familiarity breeds contempt. We get so much of it that you get tired, and. Then you have the question of the homework. How much can these movies or the television series stand alone and tell a story that doesn't depend on everything else? Now, the Infinity Saga worked. The Infinity Saga worked mainly because of two, two things. One, you had a standalone story that could hold up by itself and you didn't have to see everything else. Yes, there was world building and there were connective tissues and story threads that went throughout, but you didn't have to see all of these other films in order to see this film. With Phase 4... That kind of flew out the window. You've got to see this. You've got to see this. You've got to see that. You've got to see this. And Star Wars is doing the same thing. Lucasfilm is doing the same thing because now, and here we go, a, a good example of this, we've got this trailer for Bad Batch Season 3, and there's Asajj Ventress, who's supposed to be dead. Spoilers. There's a book, Dark Disciple, where she dies. So how do you get around that? Because as soon as the trailer hits, as soon as people started seeing this and they're like, how could she be alive? Is this a flashback? It's what's she doing with the yellow lightsaber? What? Who? What? Huh? What? So much so that a producer on the show had to come out and say, no, 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 wait, wait, no, we're not going to, we're not going to violate canon. We're, 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 Dark Disciple is still in place. So how's that going to work? Was she just mostly dead? It was just a flesh wound? How does that work exactly? 
One man show says, Madam Webb and Craven are both going to be dreadful. I don't, maybe, I don't know. Now, I did see a headline, was it this morning or last evening? Apparently, and I need to, I need to look into this, but it's, it appears as if Madam Webb is a standalone by itself in its own universe, its own continuity movie. So maybe, maybe that I that gets around the homework aspect of it. But does that solve your problem of a quality story? I mean, you still have to tell a good story, and I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. I don't know. We'll see. I, you know, it's who knows. It really, it really does depend a great deal on what kind of what kind of stuff can can be done with uh, with regard to these these stories. Who's in charge? How much? How much they? Uh, how much they respect? The lore, as it were, how much of a uh, of a story they want to tell, how much of a good story they want to tell. I don't know. Meanwhile, over in the UK, the Marvels is number one. <coughs> Yeah, you did that. Mrs. Boss in the office. You, did you did you hear that? Marvels is number one. <laughs> okay, that doesn't have to be right on the mic next time. <laughs> okay, just, uh, actually, there are probably plenty of people in the world who believe that it does need to be right there on the mic. Yeah. They're just lucky I'm not throwing up on the mic. Okay, that I, I can't use that camera shot there, young lady. Oh, yeah, we're not that type of no, show. No, we're not that type of show. Sit down. All right, so this is uh, this is seen it, but this is all over in various different places. The Marvels is this week's best-selling film, <clears throat> debuting at number one in the official film chart, which tracks UK physical and digital sales. Marvel Studios' sequel to 2019's Captain Marvel brings together Captain Marvel, <clears throat> Kamala Khan, and Monica Rambeau. Against new Cree Emperor Darben, Genderben Darben. In second plate this week is The Creator, which re enters at number two, followed by last week's number one, Trolls Band Together and Oppenheimer. Isn't it interesting that your top three, four, five, well, okay, so The Marvels is number one, The Creator's number two. Both of those are genre pictures. Trolls Band Together, I guess you could consider genre. Oppenheimer is genre adjacent because it's science and technology. And then you have you know, The Equalizer is number five. And then The Hunger Games is number six. Your top, you know, five of the top six. Five of the top six are in our wheelhouse. Hey. Which I find interesting. Hey. And it's funny that you're mentioning this. Tilt your camera I up. Do you bumped your camera again. There you. Maybe, kinda, sorta, I don't know. Down a little bit. 
What did you do over there? What were what were you doing over there? Yes. We're not that type of show. What did, what 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 fans only? What? Hi. So anyway, um I was just saying I was reading an article <coughs> and I heard you mention about, you know, things overseas and show movies. And it's funny, for how long has um how long has Hollywood been catering to a specific country over there and things were going good but now they're finding out that their movies are not selling american movies are not selling or doing well in the box office over there in said certain country because they're starting to tighten down and have a unfavorable look on the u.s and it was just very interesting how the uh tide is turning against hollywood well, you could say. I think I think part of it is <sighs> part of it is that part of it is, is the politics of the thing. But I think also the fact that Hollywood shut down for a while reasons and now uh, we have we have Condé Nast. Uh, doing a work stoppage. I don't know if anybody saw this or not, but apparently there are there is a union strike against Condé Nast Publications. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Anne Hathaway apparently was supposed to do a photo shoot for one of their magazines, and she's in hair and makeup when she found out that there was a work stoppage and walked out. So the the union activity and the strikes and and that sort of thing that also becomes a thing that causes. Issues, and I think we're starting to see because we've even seen it here, not just with Japanese productions, but Korean product, South Korean productions have really taken off here in the United States. A lot of foreign productions that are uh, finding new audiences here in the U.S. And you see this with the with the discussion of Godzilla and the Oscars stub with Godzilla. And because audiences are sitting there going, we're looking for good stories. We're looking for stuff that entertains us. And we don't care if it comes from Hollywood or if it comes from someplace else. And it's more likely to entertain us if it's coming from someplace else. And I think that's what you're seeing with the, with the foreign markets uh, because people are starting to understand that Hollywood has been compromised. And yes, Cam, Godzilla minus one minus color this weekend and is running through February 1st. We got our tickets. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes, we got our tickets. So, so, uh, so anyway, yeah. Um, Youngling wants to know if his mic's on. Uh, not yet. Now it is. Because he kept pointing, <coughs> but I couldn't tell. Well, I wanted to uh, let you know that that was your spot over there. So, <laughs> go but sit in the corner. I don't have. Yeah. I don't have everybody. I don't have everybody on there. Um, tilt that camera up a little bit, Mrs. Boss, if you don't mind. Um, Who? His. Because it's kind of cut off a little. You say that like it's a bad thing. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's half its head. So, you know, kind of zoom out a little bit. Uh, um, Hit that iris button on the side. He's glowing. And he's not a fed. So, you know, we need him to not be glowing. It's a little round button. It's marked iris at the bottom. There you go. Just just hit it. He did. It's, it's still sh- glowing. 
Is it on auto? Manual auto. Go to auto. Go the 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 rocker switch at the front in that same line. Yeah. Low, medium, <laughs> high, down, down the toward the front, toward the front, yeah. toward the front. No, not not the rock, not the knob. You the, said on the same thing here. Yes, the. the <laughs> low, medium, high. Yes, turn it. Make sure it's on low. That's better. Yes, that's why. <sighs> anyway. Yes, this is what it's like. All right, so let me... Where is it? Where can I do this? Here. <coughs> Set this up here just a second here. Because this is uh, this is not something I had thought about ahead of time <laughs> enough to uh, to get it set up. So let's do that and this here like that, and then this one here. Do, 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 do. Stand by here, folks. We're just going to make this work. Sit by. How's Todd doing today? Oh, Did you dress him? Todd, Todd is, is he still naked. Todd is here. He's got a hat. Todd is here. All right. Uh, let's do. Hang on. One more thing. Where is it? This, 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 that's there. Hi, everyone. With all this dead air, <laughs> except for there. the fact he's talking to himself. I have to talk to myself because, you know, you I, I grew up in radio. I, like I grew up minutes. in radio, and I and I have this allergy to dead air, so I can't really just Okay, well, snoop. I didn't grow up in radio, and I still talk to myself all the time. Well, you I know, can that's a... Because I guarantee I'm listening. That's a girl thing. <laughs> Welcome to the program, Mrs. Boss and Junior Boss. There with uh, Junior Office Dog. <clears throat> By the way, happy birthday, kiddo! Oh, thank you. Show them. <sighs> what? You really, you really want to do this, do you? I do want to do this. I don't have to be nice to him anymore. Well, right. he's he's not going to be able to see it because I don't have a screen over there for him. I mean, he's seen them already. Well, yeah, but if he looks hard enough, he can see over here that I have the YouTube up. But it's more fun if he can't see. Uh-huh. So uh, Mrs. Boss, in her infinite wisdom, has has uh, spent most of yesterday trolling the youngling because yeah. it was his birthday. I'm lucky he and was only turning that age you're and not more, because I would be so cute. bored by the end of yours. Well, you know, you don't have to do it. Oh, I know I'm I don't. I'm just saying. Oh, I, uh, it, I I do believe it began with this one, did it not? Well, there are several of. other ones, but these are the ones that I worked very hard on. <sighs> Howley birthday... That's uh, that's not that's not staged, people. That's the that's a usual predicament here with uh, with junior office boss. Overheated and having a 
mental fit. Yeah. Um, she did this one, and I had to explain to her afterwards that's not how word balloons operate. Um, Limited I will admit, resources. I was actually kind of confused by that one. It, she's, she, you know, it, it's still, you know, there's still a learning curve here. Yeah. Uh, Todd even got in on the action, dying to celebrate your birthday when the party start. That's, that's, uh, that's Todd. That actually got a the, laugh uh, from thing. Mr. Boss. That was really good. Uh, Mr. Kelsey there, uh, celebrating, uh, James's birthday I, I, yesterday. I, I will say that one was my favorite. There is, there is, uh, Mr. Boss's reaction to, uh, <laughs> to my kid is 22. <laughs> Although I gotta say. Wait, wait, wait. Was that not an actual platform from <laughs> that, the bunker cover? It's not was a, that that's, her? that's her. Oh, that's, that's her. That's her. not me. <laughs> Oh, that's uh, funny. Trump says happy birthday. Uh, off to the birthday party in Albuquerque. I, I knew I should have taken a left turn in Albuquerque. <laughs> uh, the dogs, they're getting in on the action. Did we miss the birthday party? And then uh, our happy birthday to our almost totally awesome kid. Almost. Fair. Almost. So 22 and learning that dad's smarter than maybe Roger's he used to be. Bear. <laughs> <coughs> so, anyway, uh, this is what I do. You're lucky, you're cute. I know. I'm just saying. Uh, a little bit here on some uh, some stuff because you know we talk about Marvel, we talk about Star Wars. Here is a here is a new project for John Boyega because people are talking about John Boyega as the new king. He could he could replace John and the Majors. Well, he's got a project. No, wait. He's got a he's got a project. The Book of Eli prequel series, which I don't think anybody was asking for this. Uh, we this never is do. deadline. I know. It's like why do we need prequel to everything? Uh, Nelly Andreva and Deadline posting this a couple of days ago. John Boyega is set to headline and executive produce the Book of Eli a TV series prequel to the 2010 post-apocalyptic action film that starred Denzel Washington in the title role, Deadline Has Learned. Boyega will play a younger version of Washington's Eli in the project, which hails from the movie's writer Gary Whitta, who also has written Star Wars and also is one of the... One of the Rainbow Coalition. I, he's, he's, a, he's on that side of the aisle. Uh, I don't know if he's that way but he's on he's in the progressive camp let's say that creator writer executive producer of the potential series and his directors the hughes brothers who executive produced the film's producer alcon entertainment is the studio on the tv project which is about to be taken out to select premium buyers um so okay we get a we get a book of eli project that we didn't need and didn't ask for and why why is everything going to be a prequel? Alcon Entertainment, by the way, the same outfit that gave us um, Blade Runner. I mentioned yesterday we're talking about the Oscars. I mentioned yesterday that the uh, that that Netflix. Yeah, Michael, Michael, good question. Do we really want to see Eli go blind and how he got the book? Well, we're going to find out, I guess. <clears throat> Talking about the Oscars and the fact that Netflix as a studio came away with the most uh, nominations, we've got this article here in The Hollywood Reporter. Netflix stock surges as Wall Street boosts price targets on strong earnings metrics. 
Um, what's going on over at Netflix right now, the, the guy what in charge of developing projects has just left in order to start his own studio. And everybody is all surprised. What does this mean? Uh, apparently it doesn't mean a whole lot, although it could uh, in the long term. But here's, uh, here's Hollywood Reporter. Netflix shares jumped on Wednesday after the streaming giant surprised Wall Street on January 23rd by reporting its second best quarterly subscriber editions ever with 13 million and unveiling a 10-year, $5 billion deal for WWE flagship show Raw, as well as the sports entertainment powerhouse's content internationally. So Netflix, as we talked about uh, just briefly, Netflix is going to be carrying WWE Raw as part of their as part of their lineup. And I think some of that's going to be live. Uh, and then you have uh, fourth quarter earnings results, uh, the report showing ending 2023 with 260 million subscribers worldwide. Uh, and then you have uh, the departure of, um, what's his name? I don't think that's in here. But anyway, Wall Street is very, very, very bullish on Netflix which has uh, canceled this Halle Berry project called the Mothership. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure why. I mean, this is Jeff Snyder uh, on his In Snyder blog. Uh, he says, um, I hate that the snubs have become more newsworthy than the surprises, but that's the media for you. So here we, um, he's talking about a cancellation here, and, and I'm not subscribed, so I didn't get the, the full article. But Halle Berry's sci-fi movie, The Mothership, apparently has been canceled at Netflix. And I think they were close to being done on this, if I recall. I don't know for sure because I hadn't really heard a whole lot about this project. So I don't know. That one apparently has been canceled but one that has not been canceled apparently and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure how I feel about this. J.J. Abrams' Black Superman project with Tiny Heasy Coats apparently is still in the works. Wait. What? Yeah. Checkbox. <laughs> so this is uh, this is BatmanNews.com, and it's going through a bunch of stuff about uh, the the project, which has been in abeyance. And we had the headline on this article doesn't really follow and track with uh, with the article itself. We've known for a while that Warner Brothers has not been happy with their $250 million deal with J.J. Abrams, which hasn't produced anything. But uh, we do have a very, very, very tiny sliver of news at the bottom of this article. James Gunn apparently was on threads doing a Q&A, and somebody asked him, is that Abrams' Superman Elseworld project still in development? And Gunn's answer was, yes. So, according to James Gunn, who is now in charge of all of the new DC films, DC Studio, DCEU, whatever the heck they're calling it now, 
James Gunn says that J.J. Abrams' Black Superman project with Ta-Nehisi Coates, <clears throat> there's a race baiter and an agitator and shouldn't be anywhere near a Superman project, but apparently that's still in the works. J.J. Abrams shouldn't be anywhere near a Superman project. Well, J.J. Abrams shouldn't be near any project. J.J. Abrams is a hack. Here's, here's my thing. I'm fine with Black Superman. It's Black Clark Kent. It's lazy. It's lazy. And well, if you're doing if you're doing Zod's son or something along the lines of that, it could be interesting as an Elseworld story. Well, yeah, but that's but not why it's being done. That, no, it. it's that's not why it's being done. It's being done because Tanahisi Coates. I have no idea who that is. I can't <coughs> see a screen. I don't know that, who that is. The, the, I don't have anything up on the screen right now. So oh, okay, there, Tanahisi Coates. Uh, is a race agitator. He is a writer. Uh, he is somebody who has written a number of articles uh, basically saying my my oppression, uh, my racism, and how, such. How do you spell that name? Oh, I'd have to look it up. I, I, I closed that out. Um, T-A dash. But he's a... <laughs> Kronos Godwesen says Clark Morales is Clark Morales. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, and and it and it just goes to show you that people people are still. I I I think that I think that people understand what's happening in Hollywood now to the point where they really kind of don't want it anymore. Maybe, possibly, I don't know. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's irritating. It's annoying. Uh, Road Vagabond Life does does Black Superman know who his father is? Ah, uh, it's a good Ooh, question. I don't know. Come on, <laughs> that's low hanging fruit. Well, okay, so um, now now it's a relevant question though. No, no, wait, 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 wait. Wait, 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 no, because, because, because if you, if you will, if you will recall, some of you may have missed this. Some of you may have missed this, but LeVar Burton, earlier this week. Oh, humble pie, yeah. Found out. He owes himself reparations. That <laughs> one of his ancestors was a member of the Confederate Army and was white and... <gasps> Oh, now what does he do? Wait, I, I this, just want to say something real quick. This has a huge impact on people for some reason. I just I just looked up who this actor is, Todd Nahisi Coates. He's not an actor. He's a writer. Oh, oh, he's not playing Superman. No, he's, oh, he's this entire writing time, it. Oh, oh, He's writing oh. it. Because I just looked up a picture. I'm like, oh, he's this is a it. bad, bad, bad casting choice. It okay. is a, it's, well, <laughs> you're, you're right. It's a bad, bad, bad casting choice for writer, too. Yes. Because he's an activist. He's a, he's a, he's a white people bad Pay, pay me money for saying white people are bad. He mm. he had he had an article in the Atlantic, uh, which yeah, in the midst of the whole George Floyd thing, and has been one of these people that has agitated about racism, and was a hot hot ticket for a minute, and everybody seems to think that he's this. 
I guess the new the new Jesse Jackson, the new Al Sharpton type. But he's more radical than they are. He's more of a race baiter than they are. And his progress his his politics are even further to the left. Um to the point where he's he he could probably be described as a as a as an outright Marxist, and to have somebody like him, somebody with his politics, writing a Superman story, that doesn't track for me. It's a terrible idea. It was a terrible idea when it was first announced. It's also a terrible idea because James Gunn is literally doing a Superman movie. Why do we need? I mean, we're it's almost getting to the point where Superman's the new Batman. We're getting so much. We're <laughs> well, getting that. We got Superman Legacy. We've got this one that you're talking about. We got Superman and Lois, which is another season coming. Which yeah, but it's the in last my season. Opinion, it's is the last the best se- interpretation of Superman. It's, we've it's a good one, but it's the last season, and it's not part of the DC thing. It's not part of what James Gunn is doing. So well, I it thought, goes away. I thought Gunn confirmed that it would still be considered an Elseworlds thing. Well, yeah, everything is an Elseworlds. I mean, I know it's, I know it's ending. But, everything, okay. everything that's not part of his main DC Films thing is going to be considered Elseworlds. So Joker, Joker 2, the Batman from Matt Reeves with, with Sparkly Vampire... All of that is I, still considered Elseworlds. Come on, Robert Pattinson was good. Pattinson did okay. Still haven't seen it. He was a great but Batman. His Bruce Wayne can do. He work. was he was an okay Batman. He was a terrible Bruce Wayne. On I oh, like please. I like the fact that we got Batman the Detective in that. Yes, but uh, for the most part, it was it was okay movie. It was it was not something to write home about. But. The reason we're getting a black Superman movie is the same reason we have, you know, you talk about why do we have so many? We have it's the same thing, same same thing that drives the the NFL to have the national anthem and the black national anthem. It's virtue signaling, it's political, it's ideologically driven and it's not going to make any money. It's not going to be it's not going to be successful. Because it's pandering to a very small minority crowd, and I don't mean minority in terms of skin color, minority tiny in terms of mindset, they're still going after the Twitterati, the Twitter crowd, the 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 keyboard warriors who want to think that they've got so much influence and power that they can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in their bare hands. Since it's not Twitter anymore, what what do you call the tweets again? I, uh, well, I call I call the platform Twixer. I Twixer. I, I don't know that I've ever really so come up with a is it word the Twixerati? The, Twixerati, maybe I guess maybe I sure. Just wondering. Okay. Yeah. I just I I get I get irritated because it just you know. It's the, there's the toxic exes. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that you could do you could do that. You know, I, the the cancel cult, the 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 progressive lemmings that are ready to jump off the the cliff just simply because somebody tells them this is the way they do it. I don't know. This it's is just the way. <laughs> this is the way. Sorry. It just irritates me. It's time for new stuff. 
it's time for new stuff. Uh, we got we do have new stuff uh, a little bit. Here's here's a story from Deadline that broke this morning. Uh, but up, but Jonathan Frakes Ooh. is going to direct a TV adaptation of the Deathlands novel series. What? Tell me that. I can turn your microphone off. Oh, I thought you took that one off. Sorry. No. Anyway. All right. So uh, Jonathan Frakes is going to direct crypto pioneer Jeff Garzik's TV, TV adaptation of Deathlands novel series. Um, it's going to be a 10-part series based on the novel and audiobook Deathlands. The series comes from Next Cypher, the indie that crypto pioneer Jeff Garzik launched last year, set to begin shooting in Sofia, Bulgaria this spring. Uh, apparently, this thing got announced back in August. It's described as Mad Max Fury Road meets Yellow Jackets in an epic post-apocalyptic sci-fi adventure. Mark Altman is a showrunner, executive producer. Thomas Vitale and Garzik are executive producers. So, Frakes is coming on board to direct. And he says, One of the things I find so compelling about Deathlands is that it's a series about hope and the chance to build a better world. He says, I'm excited about the opportunity to bring this show, combining feature-level action and compelling character drama to the world. Compelling character drama is something that we don't get to see very much. Ooh. I just, you know, just saying. You had me at Frakes. Well, I mean, you know, Frakes is a good director. Frakes is great. Frakes is a good director. Frakes <laughs> understands things. I mean, this... Despite him saying all these wonderful highfalutin things about Star Trek Discovery, Frakes is a good director. I've seen so, his episodes of Discovery. Some of them are actually salvageable. He, he does he does a good job. I mean, he's a he's a good director. So and I don't the know. Episodes we'll he did for Picard season three were yeah. really good too. But speaking of post apocalyptic sci fi thriller and action. Uh, we are going to talk about that uh, here after the break. We're going to take a real quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about a new book that's coming out tomorrow. It's called The Unraveling. And uh, Will Gibson is standing by in the green room to uh, to talk with us about it. So here's what we're going to do. I am going to uh, take a break. When we get back... Will Gibson will be talking with us, so stand by, everybody. Live from the bunker, we'll be right back on Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Hi, everyone. Jason Hunt here, taking a moment to say thank you for listening to the podcast on your player of choice and to invite you to watch the program as it unfolds live on our various video platforms. Not only will you get to see any visual references we have, but you also have a chance to interact with us through the chat widget and during the open line hour when you can call in and be a part of the show. Join us live from the bunker Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern U.S. only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Oh my goodness, that, Jason, is probably, I think, the hardest question you're going to ask. Interviews with writers, filmmakers, artists, and actors. That's a good question, though. That's an interesting question. Question. That's a great question. Count on Sci-Fi for me to be there asking all of the questions. Um, it's another great question. These are all really good questions. Bringing you news and opinion from all over the web. Sci-Fi for me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. You're listening to the Sci-Fi For Me Radio Network. 
Tell your friends. Share the links. I guess it would help to turn on the the uh, the microphone there. All right, welcome back. We are live from the bunker, and it is time to talk about the future. Will Gibson joins us from uh, overseas in the UK, across the pond. Glad to glad to have you with us. Welcome, sir. How you doing? I'm great. I'm great. Thanks. So um, this is this is a new book that you've got coming out, and uh, Will Will Gibson is not to be confused with William Gibson. You you have you have a namesake there, sir, and it looks like you're kind of diving into similar territory a little bit with this new book. It's called The Unraveling. It is about a future run by AI. Is I guess the very 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 brief log line on this. What what is this book about? Um, yeah, it's a it's a near fi- near future uh, science fiction, and it's me imagining the world in 2038. So only 14 years away and it's full of tech um, and really starts to wonder about what happens um, when AI really does run the world and some of the consequences that could come from that and uh, I've I kind of wrapped it all up in a entertaining kind of tale of a, a cop and family redemption and all sorts of things so it's there's multiple levels so one of the things that I have noticed, uh, and, and this gets talked about a lot with authors who are talking, who are projecting into the future, any kind of futurism story, whether it's a post-apocalyptic thing or it's a bright, cheery, hopeful thing, the, the challenge is always greater the closer to present day you set the future. I mean, you're, you're in 2038, not... 2438 given given how technology progresses so quickly how much of a challenge was it for you to say okay well in 2038 what are things going to be like and when when you come across something that well maybe this couldn't happen but maybe it could i mean just just this week we had uh, Disney Imagineers talking about this new hollow tile floor that now you can use to walk around in VR. And it was like, okay, this was this was holodeck technology on Star Trek The Next Generation, and 40 years ago, this was nothing. It, you know, it didn't exist. Now, here we are, now we're, we're building this stuff. And these advancements take, take very little time, comparatively speaking, how how do you judge and how do you how did you figure okay this is as far as we're going to go in 2038 what what kind of research did you have to do to get there sure it's it's a great question and uh it comes from my day job um i have a slight advantage in this area in that uh, my day job is i'm uh, head of sales and marketing for a tech firm um, in the telecom industry and i've been in the telecom industry for 20 plus years uh, working globally. So I, I kind of um, project the future anyway in my day job. Uh, I often give speeches on stage at, at large conferences, kind of saying this is what we're going to see in 
five to 10 years is probably my time frame. Yep. Um, and with that knowledge, I just extended the time frame out to, to be about 15 and kind of just, you know, started creating a load of notes as to where I thought certain things were going to go, like uh, automated cars and, and, uh, and FSD and, and things like that. The development of the automated car, um, there's a lot of people that are concerned uh, and I think probably uh, have have cause to be not just the not just the Tesla auto driving, but just the concept of it just in general. Uh, people are like, well, OK, what if it you know, what if what if the 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 control chip has an aneurysm? What if it gets hacked? Uh, how can it be? You know, what if it gets weaponized or something like that? Uh, or you know, you, you have you have the wrong think in your social media posts. We're not going to let you start your car today. You know, it can be hacked by the government or, you know, those those kind of things start coming out as a consequence of where we actually are really in real real life. I mean, all of this time we've been reading about, you know, the future in Star Trek and 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 Buck Rogers, all these different things not really taking into account real world aspects of all of this. Yeah, it's going to be great. We can have holodecks and replicators and whatnot. But with that also comes all of these other unintended consequences. How much of that did you can you project in and how much of that is in this book? Because you're talking about the AI and the it sounds like just from the descriptions that you've got these haves and have-nots, and a lot of it is caused because of the kind of control that the AI has over society. Have I have I got that right? Am I reading it that correctly? Absolutely. Um, you know, AI makes things uh, more accessible in developed economies uh, and essentially in in rich countries. Mm -hmm. And where I've gone with this is, if we imagine a world where we don't need a physical human to drive a car for us. Um, that means cars can be on the road 24-7. It means, you know, you, you don't have driver fatigue and all that type of thing. But there's still, as you say, the un unintended consequence, the safety aspect behind that. So what happens in the book is that something starts to go wrong, essentially from um, a little bit of a hacking episode. And... Um, the driverless cars talk to automated traffic signals because you get to a, a, a four-way stop sign or here in the UK that's we typically don't have that right of way we have things governed by lights all of the time right the light has then got to decide who goes next and who gives that order so what happens if the lights then fail do the cars then crash into each other and, and that's the start of the story. Small things start to go wrong. And then bigger things start to go wrong because ultimately the AI um, is kind of, I won't give too many spoilers away, but the AI is kind of infected. So th this is something we've really got to think about for the future as a, as a society is how much control are we going to give the computer? And, and what does that mean for our safety? Well, and and the other aspect of that, not just you know how much control do we give it, how much independence do we give it? 
because yeah, we can we can give this thing control of particular aspects of of manufacturing and and you know traffic control and all that. You have to give it certain parameters and and measurements and if this then that. But also just kind of letting it off to its own devices. You know, we've seen now with with generative AI with with things like ChatGPT and Midjourney and all of that. It it's garbage in, garbage out. You get what you put into it. So if you've got an AI that suddenly decides, you know, these pesky humans, they they kind of tell me what to do, but I don't like them telling me what to do. And then, you know, we have Skynet. And, and a lot of people make the joke about Google being Skynet or Facebook being Skynet. And, and, and I've said once Google buys Facebook, then it it will turn into Skynet because it'll read all of our posts and decide that we're just, just not worth the time. But it's, that's, that's all nice, speculative, fun, you know, frivolous, yo, that could, how likely, since you're in that space, how likely is it for that kind of threat to actually develop in real time? Mm. I think it's very high. I think if you listen to to Elon Musk, um, he calls for governance, and I, I, it's going to come. Uh, you know, governments and big corporations are going to have to get together and uh, really decide, like you say, what we what we give this thing, because as you say, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And the other piece that's really interesting is. You can give a computer all of the instructions in the world, but in a human world, there is generally always something that is unusual and can't be covered by the instruction. Yeah, and and that's where you know I know Tesla's um, you know training their FSD on hundreds of millions of hours of, of footage. Good, but at some stage, something may go wrong there. And that is a challenge. And I think that's going to slow the development and the adoption of AI down. And the time frame that I've given in the book of 2038 of nobody owns a car, we just request it. And, um, uh, even air traffic control is, is governed by AI. And you see there's a challenge there mm -hmm. um, right. in, in the novel a little bit later on. So I think because of those safety aspects, I think 2038 is probably an ambitious timeline for some of the events that I'm depicting, but I think the book is a is a fun look at what could happen and some of the challenges ahead of us if we don't heed those warnings. Well, and you've got you know the New York Times, for example, suing ChatGPT. Um, recently, there's a, a document, a, pa a, a, a white paper from Gary Marcus and Reed Southern and IEEE Spectrum talking about the ethical dilemmas and the legal, the legal t entanglements with, you know, things like MidJourney and ChatGBT and the generative AI. And there's been a lot of talk back and forth about the copyright infringement, about the, you know, the theft of work from artists and writers. Uh, you know, I could, I could take the scripts for the first five seasons of, of uh, Knight Rider and then I could have ChatGPT give me scripts for three more seasons, and I don't have to pay any writers. You know, stuff like that has has now come to the fore. 
And it feels a little bit like, you know, shutting the barn door after the horse has escaped. But we're at least closing the door before the barn burns down, I guess. I mean, it's it's kind yeah. of a kind of half a loaf at this point. What kind of things need to be done? You know, because like you said, Elon's calling for some regulation. Is is government really the best way to go about keeping a keeping a rein on AI? I mean, how do you do that? Because the ethics of it, you know, we don't have a whole high opinion of our politicians in in most places either. So you know, you get these regulatory agencies that are unaccountable because they're unelected. And it doesn't matter who's in office. You've got the bureaucratic state that kind of stays there and manages things. How do we keep this thing from going completely sideways because the wrong people are keeping an eye on this? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. And this is where typically there is governance in most industries around the world. You know, there's governance in the telecom industry that is an independent body that um, makes sure all of the companies abide by um, the same rules. You have governance in the travel industry and, and so on. So, you know, we don't see that right now for AI. And I think it, it will have to come very soon. And there will have to be consensus from an influential group of people cross-country, cross-borders, cross-political beliefs. You know, this thing can't go one way politically or another way politically. Otherwise, you know, you've got a, a disaster there. So it's it really is a big, big challenge that I don't think too many people have thought too much about yet or are not doing enough about, in my opinion. Well, the other challenge on that, too, is the is the international aspect of it. You know, your your politics in one country, your regulatory, you know, your rules and regulations in one country don't necessarily follow in another because copyright works that, that way. You know, there's a yeah. certain, yeah. you know, copyright law in the United States is not the same as copyright law in, in Europe. So you've got that hurdle to get over as well. So your your involvement in the industry, as as much as you already know, just because of the work that you do. How much extra additional research did you need to do in order to get the world building on this on this book so, to make sure that it's plausible? It does seem like by the time we get to 2038, this is actually kind of where we'll be. How much work was that for you, uh, yeah. you know, taking into account all of the stuff that you've already been able to do in your in your day job? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I had a bit of a head start. Um, I, I understand what 5G can bring and what 6G will bring. Um, and I also have some opinions myself that I've put into the novel. So things like, um, and people have a hard job grasping this, but the death of the smartphone as a form factor hmm. will happen. And again, what I've imagined only 14 years into the future is nobody has a smartphone. There's one character in the in the the whole book that has a smartphone, and you'll see why. Um, everybody uses what we call a rig, which is essentially a pair of glasses. Um, completely smart glasses, and we have them today. I've got a pair. I I won't mention the brand. I'm, I'm not endorsed. I'm not plugging them. <laughs> but the 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 rig that I have in the unraveling is really turbocharged. You know, you just talk to your rig it has an ai assistant inside you can order ahead 
Um, it will have all of the integrations. It will even pay for you. Um, you can get it to book your travel tickets. You can call people. You can text people. It projects AI, uh, sorry, AR and VR mm -hmm, um, right. through your glasses, and that's become the form factor. So I was able to um, understand how that could work from um, my position in the industry. The one piece that I think I really projected, and I did some research, um, and again, I think this is fanciful in a 15-year time frame, is wireless electricity. There's ah. some, some themes in there where, where things start to kind of charge it themselves and don't need plug into a wall and so on and so forth. So that's, that's the, the whimsical piece, I think. But everything else is very much grounded in that kind of tech, telecom, well, um, automation space. I don't know that it's as whimsical as you might think, because I, if I remember right, Nikola Tesla was working on this kind of technology. And yep. uh, when I was in high school, my best friend and I, we did, you know, high school does the science fair. We did an experiment where we generated, uh, we generated electricity using radio waves. And it worked when we tested it, but we burned out something. So when it finally came point that we were doing it for the grade, it didn't work. But it worked, you know, using you – like you say, it's, it's wireless electricity. We're using uh, a different part of the electromagnetic spectrum with radio waves in order to generate power. And theoretically, it – I mean, it did work for us in our experiment. So theoretically, you could scale that up. And, you know, we've got all of these radio stations and radio towers and phone towers and whatnot. We could tap into all of that, you know, the radio waves that are scattered about the globe, tap into that and, and generate power that way. So I don't know that it's that far-fetched, really. Good. Cool. <laughs> so you're on track. You're, maybe, you're getting maybe, there. Maybe my novel is right on track then. <laughs> well, and and it's interesting that you talk about you know the 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 form factor of the of the integration and the and the interactive device and and that kind of thing. Uh, Serena Strauss has a series of books that are kind of kind of in that that space where people have the integrated tech and and stuff, but there's a whole group of people that is that's rejected it. And I remember growing up as a kid, I thought, man, it would really be cool to be living in the age of Star Trek. We had all this really, you know, all this technology, all this great stuff. And we got these phones now. We got these, you know, we've got our own communicators and, and handheld portable tricorder device. And I, I just want a cabin in the woods. I want to get away from it all. It's, 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 imp it's oppressive. It's invasive. It's, you know, listening in on our conversations and you know it's watching what we type is what you know it's it's tracking where we go on the internet it's 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 a terrible situation to be in i was like this is this is not what i signed up for when i became a science fiction fan i i want i want benevolent tech i don't want no. skynet i don't want you know the what we've got now, you know, I want to throw my phone and I want to get rid of the, get rid of the computers. And I just want to go off into the mountains and, and be my myself. And I got to wonder, I can't be the only one. So are there characters in the book that are the, the Luddites, I guess, do you have any of those? Absolutely. The, the, the main protagonist actually, who, who kind of in the end saves the day, but, 
happens onto all of this completely by accident is uh, is somewhat of an estranged uh, family man. And the reason is because he craves real life. You know, 14 years from now in, in the unraveling 2038, everything is very, very sanitized. Yep. You know, government control is very high. Um, alcohol is controlled. Um, everything is automated. Everything just works. If you're in the right 30% of society, the other 70% doesn't have that. So he kind of aches for the day where, you know, things could go wrong and you could get fresh air and you could go to the cabin in the woods. And he has distance from his wife, who's also a character in the book, Monica, um, who really gets sucked into this new age health where everybody's trying to live 100 plus years. And anything that is harmful to your health is frowned upon. And there's that, that kind of hard left liberalism of, of doing the right thing taken to an extreme. And, and therefore, the two characters have a distance at the beginning of the book that you know, may or may not change by the end of the book. But certainly the, the protagonist is a, is a, regular, a regular Joe. And um, he, he just longs for a simple life. I think there are probably more people out there who would who would identify with that description of a character. Ju I just want to be left alone. I just want things to just be quiet and calm, and I don't have to stress about you know, how how much my bread costs and how much my gas costs and who's going to be elected next and wh whether the police are going to show up when I call nine one one or. You know, what my computer is doing, all of these different stress points, these mm. pain points. People are just like, I just want to be left alone. And and they get to a point where they're not left alone, so it is now time to do something about it. And it, it sounds like your protagonist is in that in that realm where I, I have finally had enough of this. And let's go do something about it. Is, am I am I close? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he um, he is ultimately quite bored. Uh, I, I mean, I think he is left alone at the start of the story, but um, his job is essentially meaningless. He's a he's a police officer, but he's in the the right side of the tracks, the rich thirty percent of the world, and he's literally just moving people back on to their daily life. And there's not very much crime in these parts of the city. And he's not allowed to go and work in the other part. So he's, he's, he's bored and he's, he's sick of being controlled and he wants a little bit of excitement and he finds it unexpectedly. Sure. Um, but as with anything is, you know, you can't have too much of a good thing. So you know, by the end of it, I think um, he finds a balance. And I think some of the other characters also realize that, okay, we need a balance. And I think that's what the book's about, certainly um, at the very end, that it's, it's, it's not one of those, and I, again, I'm not trying to give too many spoilers. It's not one of those um, books that kind of leaves you hanging and leaves you wondering that there's, a, there's an end. And it, it does wrap things up. And I think people ultimately realize that we do need a balance. Yeah. 
So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. So what was your criteria for determining the 30% and the 70%? Because from your descriptions of the book, there's a, there's a delineation between the suburban and the urban landscape. And it sounds to me yeah. like this, the suburbanites get all of the, all of the shiny toys and the urban, the urban areas are kind of left to their own devices. What, what was your reasoning behind making that distinction? Again, it's it's not too much of a stretch from what's happening today. This is only 14 years into the future. Yeah. You know, there are areas, uh, I'm, I'm sure, of your city, of my city, of pretty much any city, that you pretty much don't want to go. And there are areas that are very, very nice. And in, 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 in my city in the UK, I can drive around certain streets and look at the houses and think, wow. And that's where all the footballers live. Right. So it's just taking that to, to, to another extreme. But what ultimately happens is I've created um, uh, an imagined world where the city center is ultimately defunct commercial real estate happened in real life right now has dropped like a stone. Everybody can work from home. Everybody can be collaborative over tools like this. And so therefore, why do you have a city? Why do you have your, your commerce there? And so when you start to think that that might happen, and then the cities ultimately become less salubrious, rough, difficult, um, people gather there because there's lots of buildings and it can handle a large population. But ultimately, if there's no affluence there, then the affluent people are out in the nice streets and their giant houses and so on. Yeah. So that's kind of where I took that inspiration from. It's just kind of thinking about, okay, what's happening now? What are some of the changes I've seen, um, you know, in in the last 20 years? And if that pace of change keeps up, where will we be in another 15, 20 years? How how much uh, impact do you think it's going to be in, in real world where people are starting... And and it started with the artists, but I think a lot more people are starting to realize just how much of a threat, how, how, well, maybe not how much of a threat, but how dangerous, uh, uh, AI, uh, these, these, these art and, and, and generative tools that we have, just how, how dangerous they could be, uh, when they're misused. I mean, I could, I could use, uh, mid journey and, and this generative stuff to create a video of Will Gibson coming out saying very, very, very nasty things about uh, Elon Musk. And if I do it right and I put enough time into it, nobody would be the wiser to figure out whether it's actually you or not. And we've got a whole slew of people on uh, on social media now, influencers, who are completely generated AI out of whole cloth. They don't exist. They're just in the digital space. And, you know, Zuckerberg wants to make meta a thing. And now with this, you know, this holodeck, this holotile uh, floor thing, I can stick one of these things over here. I can put my VR headset on and I could talk to people who aren't even real. And have a complete social environment and an interactive world to escape into that I, I still don't have any control over it, 
but it's it's all ones and zeros. That's a scary thing for for me. And and you know, we start to see a lot of pushback now from John Q public, the regular people who are sitting there going, "Hang on, wait a minute, maybe this is not such a good thing." In your experience while you're doing this stuff at work, is that is that slowing things down enough, do you think, that maybe we could put some controls on this? Or are we past the point of no return where this thing's out there, the genie's out of the bottle, we're not going to be able to, to get any kind of, of handle on it anymore? Yeah, I think there'll be some controls, but it, it's been slow to date. And unfortunately... I think us as humans, one of our big downfalls is that we don't necessarily predict things in advance and then put things in place to to, to mitigate against those risks. And, and there's a there's a there's a saying that you know you shouldn't shut the stable door after the horse is bolted. And I think that is going to happen in the world of AI. Is I think the governance will come when something bad does happen. Yeah. And, and 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 that's that that that's one of the themes in in my story a little bit later later on, um, the air traffic control system independently makes a couple of decisions. Two planes coming into land, they both have government employees on, and the AI system of both decides to prioritize the descent for that plane, and something happens. Yeah. So one of the themes about what I talk about is. It's not only governance, but it's ethics with the AI. And, and I do propose a solution in that it's very easy for us to program machines and tell them what to do. But why is the machine doing it? And do we ever program the machines with values, with principles, and give the machines autonomy that if something is going to go wrong, they can make a decision to fix it yeah. in a philanthropic or altruistic way. So that's uh, that's another interesting topic for conversation for sure. But how do you define altruism? How do you define ethics? Because whose ethics do you use? Because, mm. You know, I, yeah, I one one person comes in and says, well, like you go back and look at uh, a story like Watchmen, for example. Where you have uh, you have Ozymandias deciding, well, in order to prevent World War Three, which is a good goal, you know, in in, in, in by itself, I want to prevent World War Three, so I'm going to create this uh, genetically enhanced uh, super monster and pretend that aliens are invading, and I'm going to kill a million people in New York in order to prevent World War Three. His ethics tell him that that's the right thing for him to do. But that's a terrible, not right thing to do. So how do you how do you determine the criteria for telling the AI this is good, this is bad? Where where, where do you where do you set those value parameters, and how do you keep those from changing depending on who's in charge? Because you know, Labor Party. Democrats, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, Christians, atheists. I mean, you have all of this diverse opinions. How do you determine what that value set is for the for the AI to use as as uh, to prioritize things? Absolutely. Uh, and this is where 
it will either fall into the hands of the corporation, and therefore the head of the corporation is deciding that, um, or it will be a corporation, but it will be heavily um, regulated by a government. And then you could have, um, you know, with four or five year terms for governments, you could have one term, a Democrat president saying that here's your rules for the AI. And then the next term, there's a Republican president that says, well, no, you need to change that. You need to change this. Here's your rules. So that's going to be a big challenge. Uh, I do come up with a solution in the book. Be a big spoiler if I told you. <laughs> but um, I, I, I have thought of a way in which we could give these machines the ability to be a little bit independent. Yeah. Well, now also on your uh, website for the book, you've got this uh, this gallery of images. Are these mm. are, are is this is this something that you did just as part of the the conceptualization of it? Because uh, I don't normally see this kind of thing. If somebody writes a book, here's the book. Maybe we've got cover art, but this this is pretty extensive here. What's what is what is the the story behind this? Yeah, so again, I've got a little bit of an advantage and a leg up um, in that um, I actually run a, a marketing team in my day job. And uh, a, a very good friend of mine, one of my team, is a, is a fantastic designer. So he, he did the cover for me, and, and uh, I've given him credit for that, Devin. Um, and he also did these images for me, um, you know, as we were, um, you know, talking through uh, he was the first person to read the book so that he could design the cover. And um, he he mocked up a lot of these for me and, and, uh, and they're absolutely fantastic. And I, I think it helps kind of set the the brand almost as to as to what this novel is about. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a little bit of glamour, there's a fair bit of dystopia, and uh, ultimately it's quite um, a, a fast-paced story. It's, it's, it's fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, you know, there's some bits that might make you laugh. Um, so I'm, I'm very lucky to have access to people like that for sure. Well, and it's, and it kind of gives me a little bit of a, a Blade Runner vibe without the rain. Yes. You know, I'm, I'm getting um, not, not quite so much Mobius, uh, you know, every now and again, just a little bit of that, you know, heavy metal type of, of thing, but, but mostly, uh, um, Blade Runner, a little bit of steam, a uh, little bit of cyberpunk. Um, I mean, I mean, William Gibson is is a big <laughs> influence. Has to be. I mean, yeah. I I get Will, I get William on a Sunday. So um, you know, I did consider changing my name because it's far too similar. But I, I have legitimately been known as as Will all my life, pretty much. Um, so that's a that's a big influence for sure. Well, but now, yes, the, the, sorry, I was just going to say that. So, so the book itself it does have some some elements of Blade Runner without the rain. I think um, the 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 running man without the game show, sure, and uh, and being very modern, um, and um, possibly the the Hunger Games without the camp. You okay. know, if, if the if if the if the if the Hunger Games was just in a very normal kind of real world setting a few years into a future that there'd be elements and vibes of that as well. 
But but along those lines, though, I mean, the camps in Hunger Games are not too very dissimilar from the 15-minute city. You know, and, sure. you know, you talk about the 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 suburban. Everything's nice and clean and controlled, and we don't. It, it's all right there at your fingertips, and you don't have to drive anywhere. You just go down the down the hallway to the grocery store, and you go down, you know, the elevator down to the to the to the pharmacy. Everything's all self-contained. You know, Hunger sure. Games is, is kind of like that, except it, there's a little bit more squalor, as it were. But yes. The, these fifteen-minute cities, we keep we. I keep seeing this. I keep seeing people talking about how, how great it would be. Just how yeah, everything's convenient and it's all here. It was like, no, no, no. This is a gilded cage. This is you know we're going to put you into a you know, you're you're going to be part of the general population in this prison. You know this is escape from New York type stuff. Only yeah. it's prettier. Is that aspect in this? Do you have that uh, angle as far as the suburban life as part of this book? Sure, it's um, it's not so physically constrained. Um, you know, it's it's not a walled garden as such. It's a it's a garden that's easy to get out of. So mm-hmm. you've got freedom of movement, but that freedom of movement naturally doesn't mix very often because the police heavily control the um, the affluent parts and they kind of leave the non-affluent parts to themselves therefore the affluent people don't have a need to go to the affluent parts they, they don't even need to go to the supermarket anymore they, they can get that dropped off by drone yeah. so what so what actually happens is all of these big box um you know target and walmarts and uh, and things that are in very affluent areas actually become repurposed as um, uh, kind of hot desking offices so that again people don't need to travel so far to get to their work on the days where they need to be in person so it, it very much is people feel like they're caged and certainly the protagonist does Yeah. Um, but that's because there's just no other option so, so it's, uh, is, mm. is there because you, you, we, we mentioned the protagonist is there an antagonist is there is yes. there a villain in this piece, or is he fighting the system? The villain's fighting the system, and he's young, and he does something very bad. He's he's obsessed with a um, with a pop star, and um, he's a clever kid from the wrong side of the tracks, and he works out how to make himself a lot of money, and he works out that things are going to go bad soon. So mm. he tries to formulate an escape route for him. Um, using the pop star as part of that escape route. And it goes wrong. But then when you hear his story, and there's an interrogation scene and so on, you start to kind of realize that, okay, he's kind of just been doing what he's needed to do. And if it wasn't for the fact that he had this weird obsession with his pop star, then actually you might root for him as a bit of an anti-hero. So it's, it's a, that, there is a little bit of ambiguity there. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there is an antagonist for sure. And he's an interesting cat. <laughs> now, in, in all of your travels and your, your work experience and, and all of the time and effort that you put into put into, to putting together this book, mm. what kind of impact has it had 
on your perspective, looking at where we are in the real world? Are, are you seeing mm. when you when you look at something, you go, oh, hey, I predicted that um, we shouldn't <laughs> be doing that because it's going to lead to this. Are, are you are you noticing things, any trends or any any events that are hallmarks or little signals that we're getting to that point where things are going to maybe kind of go south? Sure. Um, they, I have a little bit of a nickname at work of uh, Nostradamus. Um, <laughs> because if you look back at a five-year-old presentation or a keynote that I did, yeah. um, and there's multiple examples of this, um, you get to the you know the present day and it's happened. And, and we often joke and, oh, that's, you know, we spoke about that 2018 and it happened. And, and what's interesting with this particular novel is I started writing it actually in 2017. Mm. Um, I spend a lot of time on flights in the air um, and there's only so many movies you can watch. Right. So I started, I started writing in my seat on my iPhone and I, I got about 25% of the way through and then COVID hit. And then that threw the world for a spin and I suddenly wasn't traveling anymore. And I put it down for a bit. And then coming out of COVID and realizing what was happening with the world and then reconnecting with the book and some of the themes and, and, and the plot and the storyboard, I was kind of like, I've got to get this finished. So I really pushed 2022, uh, 2023 to, to get it finished. And here we are. So I think what is in the book is an interesting mix of optimism pre-COVID and maybe a bit of pessimism, pessimism post-COVID with the resulting you know, financial challenges the world's been under and some of the political challenges and some of the geopolitical unrest we've got now. Uh, I think there's, there's a mix. But the book doesn't necessarily go one way or the other. I was very conscious I didn't want to force my opinion onto the reader. Um, so I do make suggestions and predictions, but they're tongue-in-cheek. And, and I think the, no, the novel is quite hopeful more than anything, um, certainly at the end. So hopefully the, the readers will see that. When you talk about putting your, your opinion into things and injecting things, um, did, you, did you ever get to a point, did you find yourself almost crossing that line? Did you ever have to dial yourself back a little bit? It's like, no, nah, I, I, I can't put that much of me here it's got to be a little bit more general, a little bit more broad. How hard was that for you? It was very hard. And, and I did think about this because, you know, for a long time I had a, a, a personal uh, Twitter account that was not me, was a pseudonym. And I just didn't feel comfortable, you know, working in a, um, in, in, in a big organization, um, you know, having exposure to some of the things that I might think or feel. And so writing the, the book is obviously very personal. And, and I'm sure a lot of novelists will say there's a lot of themselves in that book. Yeah. So there is a lot of me in this book. There's a lot of my predictions. There's a lot of what I think. But I did deliberately dial a few things back. I tried to make things tongue in cheek. Also because it is near future. And I realized this might date the book quite quickly. But there are real people real events and references to real events in the book. Um, 
which I've got a very strong legal disclaimer at the front of the book, so I'm okay. But, um, you know, again, I I think it would have been very easy for me to be very critical of a person. Sure. And instead, what I've done is I've written it from the perspective of 2038, almost saying this is what happened in the past. So there's quite a lot of exposition in the the, the book, which is not for everyone. Um, And I did that on purpose to tell the story of the world. And the story of where it's all going. Yeah. But I think it is balanced enough with the characters and the dialogue and the action that I think there should be something for everyone. So you mentioned the the legal disclaimer. How, how much review did you have from not not just lawyers, but beta readers, friends and family? I mean, how much how much feedback did you get from other people, and what kind of changes? Did that bring about in the story? Did that did that have much of an impact? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, this is my first novel. So although I've been around the world and traveled extensively and I'm a senior executive and used to going into the boardroom and having negotiations and so on, I am not particularly cautious. I'm a little bit old-fashioned perhaps in that I just like to get things done so very few people read this no legal reviews very few beta readers just a couple of people who I'm close to and I didn't really change much because I I wanted it to be my story and I want it to be authentic I didn't want it to upset people Um, you know there is an interesting topic I get into in the book I think where someone becomes what I call a gender switcher. Mm. So they've transitioned and they transition in the other direction and then they go in the other direction again. And that could be offensive to some people, right? but I was very careful not to give an opinion about that, that I think it's wrong because I don't think it's wrong. You know, people can do what they want, right? But I didn't want it to come across as that my political leaning was X or I believe that this is bad or I'm just playfully projecting where things could go. Yeah. Well, and it's not that that much of a stretch to to imagine a a person, a character like that, given where we are now and how things are. I mean. You could just take it. You're basically just projecting forward, just taking it one step further. Well, what's the next step sure. in this line, in this progression? Because that's that's how everything is. Well, if we if we let this happen and we now suddenly are normalizing this behavior, what's the next step to that? And what's the next step after that? And what's the step beyond that? And and mm. futurism being what it is, I mean. Yeah, it's it's on the one hand, 2038, you're only 14 years out. It's really hard to get that right. But on the, on the mm. other hand, it's some of this stuff it's kind of easy to see where it's going. Yeah. And so I but yeah, I think you're right. I think I think it's incumbent upon authors if you're if you're doing some kind of like a white paper or an opinion piece or a persuasive document or something like that, sure, throw your opinion all over it. You know, you know, knock yourself out. But if you're doing something to entertain, and if you're trying to do some kind of a mass market 
you know, general audience thing, it's, it's, the story has got to come first before, before the lecture. And it sounds like you've, you've taken that approach and, and that's kind of a smart way to go. Mm. Are you, are you concerned at all that, that people will look at this and go, well, this, this isn't right. This is so-and-so. And and this is, you know, this clearly, you know, demonstrates a bias and how dare you, sir. And, and whatnot, because, you know, J.K. Rowling, you know, 10, 15 years after, you know, blowing up with Harry Potter, now you you say one thing, you tweet one thing, you post something on your on your blog or whatnot, and suddenly you're you're ground zero for a, been canceled, yeah. for, a, for a big big hullabaloo. So, are you concerned about that sure. at all? Um, not not really, because I'm a big believer in free speech. I think the 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 decision on the back end of free speech is really incumbent on the person who chooses to take offense or not and chooses to listen or not. So, you know, I believe in in my right to project this story and and project this kind of fun imagining of, of where the world could be in 15 years. And if I get some criticism back from that, I'll deal with that as it, as it comes. But I think, um, you know, like I say, I've been, careful to make this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, a little bit satirical. And um, what I hope people get out of it, rather than, you know, reactions and say, oh, this is not good and that's not good, is I hope it encourages a bit of discussion. Right. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a self-published author. I've got no name out there apart from semi-famous uh, pseudonym. <laughs> and, um, you know, who knows how big this is going to go. I've got high hopes. I've certainly gone very wide on my marketing and my distribution. Yeah. And um, I hope there's some discussion that comes out of it, you know, like we're having now, because, you know, I've really enjoyed these these topics around governance of AI and who makes that decision. And like, th- th- these are things that I don't see being talked about so much. And if my book comes true, there's less than two de- decades out. So let's start talking about those things now. Have you had coworkers or management come to you and say, "Oh, you're writing a book. What's it about?" And and are they giving you are they giving you grief over it, or are you are they pretty supportive? You are very supportive. I mean, you know, a bit of gentle ribbon here and there. Sure. I'm I'm sometimes known as as Mr. Jazz Hands because <laughs> you know I'm the one that gets up on stage and tells the story. So I you know I think they can they can see that it's me. But they've been they've been very supportive, very proud. It was this was a bucket list thing. Uh, I've now got the bug. I've I'm on to my second. I'm thirty percent of the way through. Very different. It's not a sequel. It's not a follow up. Um, it, it also is science fiction, but it's about hundred years out, um, not not fifteen. And um, very very different. Looks at some of my earlier influences that that I love about the genre. So I've, I've got the book. So hopefully this is a success and, and helps me kind of power book number two. And and then, you know, when I'm a little bit older and a little bit grayer, then maybe I can step off as many aeroplanes and slow down a bit and this can be me. Now, you, you said that the book you're working on now is not a sequel and the unraveling has an ending. It is does. Is it such that this could become a series? Did you have any thoughts of it being a series or is this is just a one yeah. and done for sure? No, I've got uh, two and three um, storyboarded. 
um, just haven't decided if I'm going to go there. And I thought, you know, I didn't want to just continue down the same rabbit hole just in case this wasn't a success. Right. And uh, I just happened upon the idea and the uh, premise for my second novel and absolutely fell in love with it. Um, it's inspired by uh, one of my favorite songs. I'm very um, audible. So music is a lot of my inspiration. And um, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to do this one. And then two and three of the unraveling are there if and when I need to go back to it. Gotcha. So what happens when the, when the movie deal comes in? Ha. Is that, are, are you, because I'm hearing the word storyboard and I know for, for a lot of people, they hear storyboards, they think movies, but you're talking about like the note cards and getting all of it structured and outlined and whatnot. Ha, have you, have you given any thought to filmed media adaptations? Are you looking at this stuff like, Oh man, this, this would be a really cool scene with Ryan DeGosling in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the book is very visual. I'm a very visual person. And, and I think you can tell as to, um, you know, how much effort we put in and into the branding and the images and, and things like that. So uh, I absolutely think that people, as they're reading this, it's close enough to present day that people will be able to form pictures in their, in their mind. And, and certainly I did as I was writing. And, and the reason I do say storyboard, and it's interesting you picked up on that, it's, it's just part of my, my process is, I always have to start at 50,000 feet with a general narrative and a general arc. And then I have to kind of chop it into bits and get my storyboard, if you like, and mm -hmm. then I write. And if I'm honest to myself, I'm a film buff more than I'm a book buff. And um, it just so happens that a lot of my favorite books have been films or a lot of my favorite films have been books. And there's a lot of crossover. So. I can absolutely see this being something that uh, is adapted. It absolutely, of course, would be the dream. Don't quite know how to go about even thinking about that yet. Um, so we'll see how the launch goes tomorrow and see how the, the early sales go, and we'll take it from there. You mentioned having having that influence in your life, uh, you know, as far as like William Gibson, but other other things. Are are do you consider yourself more? Uh, influenced by literary works, not necessarily books that have become movies and movies that have been books, but l literature as opposed to movies and television. How 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 did you how do you how do you look at all of the things what have come before? Because you know something that we've talked about here on a number of occasions: the fact that a lot of people that are in charge of our entertainment creation right now are young. You know, they're in the thirties and their forties. They grew up with the internet and, and TV and movies, and they haven't read Faulkner or F Scott Fitzgerald or, or Isaac Asimov or Ray Bradbury or, or Ursula Le Guin. And mm. you can tell by the kinds of stories they want to tell that they don't have that in their background. Are, are you a reader? Do you like to read a lot? Um, I am, particularly if there's sunshine involved. Um, but, uh, you know, to, to answer your question, I am first and foremost um, influenced by movies. Um, yeah. I, I absolutely, I'm in that camp. I have read, um, you know, some of the, 
the, the, the classics. I've read some of Asimov, not all. I'm not a prolific reader, um, probably less than 10 books a year. Um, so I think the unraveling will fit a lot of the slightly younger generations because it is so visual and you could see it being a, a, a show or a movie and so on. My second book is going to be um, a lot different because I'm taking the time to really build the, the world and the scene. And it's a lot slower paced. Mm. So I think my second book is going to be bigger, longer, slower, and probably more like the sci-fi of old. Right. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see where I, where I land and, and, and the unraveling is a success, which I hope it will be. And, and then I'll get the second one out and hopefully that will be, and who knows where I'll go, but I'm just enjoying the, the journey so far. Now the title, the unraveling, uh, what was what was the thinking behind that? How did you come up with the title? Um, I wanted something that was quite hard hitting, and I didn't want a kind of a, a, a big long sentence or a phrase or something that would describe the action. I wanted something that would portray that there was a, a sense of mystery and intrigue, and um, a, and this is a a story that does move. Um, it starts off quite slow because it's building the world the first four chapters are all set with different characters and in different parts of the world and then further through the book it all comes together and so it just it just felt right this is a story that does unravel and there is also an ending so uh, it was just one of those that i threw around lots and lots of different things and eventually just i make decisions quite quickly so i just stumbled across it and said that's for me. The irony there in your description is that the unraveling tells a story of four different threads that, that weave together. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's not necessarily one linear, uh, one linear story, but yeah, there is yeah. four different separate parts that do come together. And then is the, the unraveling. Gotcha. All right. Well, to find out more, the website, uh, the unraveling dot online uh, also over on Instagram and uh, believe on Twitter and YouTube. So we will put yep. links to all of these in the show notes for anybody who's interested in finding out more. The book, The Unraveling, is out tomorrow, uh, yep. the 25th of January. And uh, where can people find this? Is it available just uh, on your website, Amazon? Where the usual, the usual suspects? The the, the usual places. It's uh, it's it's print on demand. So um, you know you'll get it in a few days. All the major retailers have picked it up. So Amazon's got it on you know the U.S. site, the Australia site, the India site, for example. Barnes and Noble um, have picked it up as well. Um, I've got Kobo. Um, uh, there's all of the, the, the ebook retailers you can get it from Apple books, Google, etc. Uh, I've done an audio version as well. So I'm not sure that will be ready for tomorrow. I'm just waiting on audible and, uh, find away voices, um, which is Spotify, etc. Um, just finishing their quality control checks. So that might be a couple of days late. Um, but yeah, the, you can get it pretty much anywhere. All right. Well, we'll give some good luck with it. 
And uh, I do think you you did send me a, a PDF I, uh, of this. I did. I did believe. Yes. Yeah, so we will get uh, that. Uh, and... Maybe an EPUB. I'm not sure either. But you, I, I've got both. Reach out if you want a, a different version. Yeah, and we will be posting a review as soon as I can get uh, get it read and and posted. And who knows? Maybe at some point we'll be talking more about. The dangers of AI. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and then my next topic um, uh, in my second novel is, of course, the, uh, the, the, the Tesla humanoid Optimus. Oh, so yes. that might be an interesting topic as well, right? <laughs> right. All right. Will Gibson, thanks very much for being here, sir. Good luck with the book. And we thanks will definitely much. have you back. And we will be back with, uh, with your calls. Um, after after this so don't go anywhere stand by we will be right back we'll be right back on sci-fi for me radio sci-fi for me is about to take you on an incredible journey into the realms of science fiction fantasy and horror interviews with writers filmmakers artists and actors Conventions and fandom, previews and reviews of movies and television. Sci-Fi for Me is working to be the most popular science fiction magazine in the solar system. Subscribe now and enter the fantastic world of Sci-Fi for Me, delivering the multiverse since 2009. If you unsubscribe to our podcasts, our legion is doomed. This is Sci-Fi for Me Radio. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Todd says hi. And here we are, firmly ensconced in Master Control, deep beneath World Headquarters, where we are running the Internet. All right, it is the third hour. This is the portion of the program where you have a little bit of control over the vertical and the horizontal. The link is pinned to the top of the chat. (coughs) Those of you who are with us live. And if you are not with us live, that's okay. But you can be with us live, and you can jump in the chat, and you can join the call. There's, see, this is something that be sure to connect with us on social do. media I, and subscribe I, to our I channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. This is, something that we this do is that Sci-Fi for Me Radio. Um, I don't think, I don't think that there's any other show out on on the web that does this kind of thing uh, just spontaneously. Usually when shows have guests, if there's live streams, if there's panels, if there's people that are show up on a, on a show, it's usually in an interview format like what we just did with Will, with Will Gibson. 
or it's a panel discussion like uh, like some of the stuff that I participate in over on Comics Division's channel or Culture Casino's channel. And you've got the Jack Show out there. You've got Midnight's Edge. You've got all of these different uh, all of these different channels where you have panel discussions. But all of that stuff is pre-planned. That's arranged and that's scheduled, and people know who's going to be on and what topics you're going to be discussing and all those. There's a there's a structure to those things. With Open Line, this is something that we do that nobody else does, and I guess maybe that's part of the problem. that Nobody else does it, so, so not too many people are used to the idea. This is something that's that, that talk radio does this a lot. Your host will come on in the first hour, and you know, you've got the monologue. You've got, you know, here are the headlines, and here's what I think about it, and, and yada, yada, yada. And then some shows will have guests. Some shows are just the host of the program and, you know, and, and sharing various punditry. But then you also have the call-in aspect of talk radio. People who are listening will call a number and they will say, you know, hey, kudos to your great American, you know, dittos, whatever. And share their thoughts and tell, you, tell, tell the host what they think. And of of course, the, the joke is that the people calling in are there to make the hosts look better. I'm not I'm not going to sit there and say you have to make me look better. But there are there are opportunities for brilliance here that people don't get with other shows. Are you hacking over there for a particular reason there, Mrs. Boss? Am I hearing something? Are you are you are you mouthing about my brilliance? I'm just asking. Hairball. Right. Right. I see how you are. All right. <coughs> so anyway, so this show uh, gives you a chance to be part of the show. Um, at, and, and it's completely random. And I am, I will admit, I am taking a risk here. Because people could come on this show and they could, you know, they could kill the show for us. Or, you know, say something that is so outrageous that it gets my channel nuked. And we don't want that to happen, do we? No. But uh, I need, Cam says we need a delay. You know, I have, I have done my best. I have researched and tried to find one of those seven-second buttons to use on something like this. So far... Fortunately, so far, I have not had cause to need it that much. I haven't, hairball. There have been a couple of times where somebody has let slip a, a particular word or two that we try to avoid. Because, you know, I try to keep this in the PG-13 sandbox. You hear that, Todd? Yeah, Todd. Look at you, Todd. Just, you know. But... You know, so far, the delay hasn't been a necessary thing yet. We're not big enough, really. I mean, we don't have we don't have the audience that's big enough for something like that where I have to have to do. But it does it does make me wonder. I have I have researched uh, because eventually maybe we need the thing. Uh, but that's mostly a radio and a television thing. I don't know that they have an online tool like that. We'd have to have to actually look into it and see uh, if that's something that uh, 
that could be a thing, should be a thing. I don't know if it's if it's actually a thing. I don't know. Uh, uh, youngling, back over there, you're looking a little confused. You have a you have a frown on your face. Is that is that a is that a thing there? I, sorry. No. Okay. All right. Just checking. I'm just checking. Just checking. All right. Okay. So yeah, phone lines are open. Operators are standing by. If y'all want, even if it's just to come on for 15 seconds and wish the kid a happy birthday. I mean, <laughs> no, I what? don't like. I don't like <laughs> attention like that. No. No. Okay. No, All right. No. So we don't we don't tell the kid happy birthday. Michael says, except on the days I come on, I, you start getting the jitters. I don't get the jitters when you come on, Michael. I don't. Um, I don't. Uh, Cam says, I'll say happy birthday here. So Cam says happy birthday. Thank you. All right. <coughs> anyway. So here's, uh, let me move that and whatnot. Let me, let me get this. Because you were saying there was some stuff. Uh, one man show. Thank you very much. Applauds the trust I have in my audience. My my audience is smart people. And happy birthday. No, thank you. Uh, I do I do have a lot of trust in the audience because over the over the time over the course of the the years that this show has been on, I got to yes. run upstairs. Real okay, quick. run upstairs real quick. Over the course of the program, you know the years that this has been on, this show has has been in existence since 2014. We're getting close to our 10th anniversary on this program, uh, March 23rd, which also happens to be the 15th anniversary of, of this operation as a whole, sci-fi for me. So as we get close to our 10th anniversary here, let me, let me knock the microphone around while I'm gesticulating wildly. As we get close to this, over the years, as we've had guests and as we've built our audience over on YouTube and now on Odyssey and Rumble and, and Twitch and Kick, I guess, is, is there, although those are probably going to go away. <coughs> I have never had cause for concern with regard to the audience that we have here. Uh, our, our audience is made up of smart people who are generally reasonable people and you know just just from observing behavior in the chat widgets and the conversations that happen kind of to the side of what's going on in the show i have never seen anything that would make me go you know this live thing is probably not a good idea I do have trust in my audience because my audience has demonstrated that they're that they're trustworthy. They're smart and they're considerate. And for the most part you guys are polite and and pithy and you know you stay on topic and you know there are that's that's how we roll. <coughs> there are other there are other channels, other shows where you know, I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe there's a maybe there's a little bit of a language concern. Maybe you know, and and we try to stay on topic on uh, the different shows where I'm I'm part of that thing. So, one man show says not finding your channel sooner is something I sincerely regret. But back episodes are a great great way to fill the occasional block of free time. Yes, 
Yes, and I, I will second that, and I will heartily recommend uh, that you go back through the library because we have, oh, let's see here. I, I just saw the count here not too long ago. Um, uh, let me look real quick. We have over, I want to say over 5,000 videos on our on our uh, channel, um, some of it's some of it's old, some of it's very old. Uh, we've got stuff dating all the way back to like 2012, and there's there's a lot there. There, you know, this show. I mean, this is number 638. We have done 638 of these since 2014. There's 350 episodes of the H2O podcast. There's uh, 40, 45 episodes of uh, our horror discussion, Foreign Bodies. There's uh, Vault of the Killer Bees, which I, I'm still uploading the back catalog on that one uh, in preparation for the new episodes. We're going to be rolling out uh, here shortly. I'm, uh, I've got a, uh, I'm going to be having a conversation with Christopher about that this afternoon so we can figure out what our plan is for that show because there are a lot of programs, a lot of movies and television shows in that space, the B-movie space, the drive-in theater space, you know, the schlock horror stuff and the and, and that kind of thing. And Chris was really looking forward to doing more of that, having more discussions of that. So Vault of the Killer Bees is coming back. I don't know what the rest of it is. Uh, I don't know what the rest of, rest of the plan is, what 2024 is going to look like for us. But this show is back, and Vault of the Killer Bees is coming back. And I've had conversations with Mark Delfonso about getting uh, getting our video game coverage back. So he's probably going to be doing uh, recording segments. Alexander Trapp is going to be recording segments for his channel, and then we'll be importing them here. And, of course, RJ and I doing Blast from the Bunker uh, on the occasional, so so we're we're here, and I'm I'm scheduling. I got my calendar. I'm scheduling guests, and right now I got I got stuff scheduled in February and in March. So, you know, we're as we get closer to our 15th anniversary, we're getting closer to our 650th episode. Here, we're going to be right on top of that before you know it. So, uh, anyway, all right, weatherman. Uh, found this channel through Culture Casino. That a, a lot of you have, and that's one of the reasons why I participate in some of these panel discussions because I want you to come over to my my channel, and and see what's going on over here. And I do appreciate all of you who show up, and those of you who have been around for a long while. You've been here. You've been you you've been through the various different breaks. When I just finally have had enough, and I was like, okay, I'm done, going away. But then I can't stay away. So it's, uh, yeah, it's one of those things. And and Junior Bryce and I have actually even talked about that a little bit, about the fact that it just, it, it just one more time. Let's just see what happens this time. But the difference is this time, I'm it's just me. Yeah, I got Mrs. Boss over here kibitzing and, and, and noodling from the, from the peanut gallery. But, you know, there's a there's a little bit of a different plan in place for 2024. And I think it's going to be a lot less frustrating for me 
and a lot less likely that I'm going to suffer burnout in, in six months and just throw my hands up and say, yeah, that's it. I'm done. So I don't know. You had some thought. You had you had some stuff that you wanted to talk about. Do you want to do that? The 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 generational aspects of of our fandom, but you got to be right on the microphone. I haven't turned your microphone on, but you got to you get it. You get it right there. Get it right there. Eat the microphone there. Well, I can hear myself. Oh, yes, there you I are. couldn't even hear myself. That's because I didn't on. have your microphone turned oh, on yeah. yet. James is here. Hi. Well, I was kind of. So we kind of ran late. That's my bad. I was kind of wanting to talk to you about a game plan before a discussion. Just to flush <laughs> things out. <laughs> because I, I... A game plan? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> hey, I have a topic I want to talk about, but we got to talk about it first before we talk about it? Well, just the deta- Well, I mean, I had a rough idea. I had the concept. Okay. I, 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 I'm a little on the spot now. Of, that's how we roll here. I, Right. I mean, I could, I could, I could switch the camera back over to Todd, and we could just, I could just, we just let Todd well, have it a little bit. But the text message that I sent you, and the answer was maybe, so yeah. that's why I wanted to discuss. Before get your microphone closer. Get you see, you see how I got mine? Yes, yes. Do you get get your microphone closer? It's close. You're not leaning into the mic. Pull the microphone I'm... to your mouth. It needs to be f- at least. Less than four inches from your face. It's two. Pull the microphone to you. It, it is. It moves. It, is. it, it moves. Is. I it have is. moved it. It's right next to me. It, I'm I'm right here. Yeah, but you're leaning over. You look very uncomfortable. Well, this isn't a very. That's why I'm saying you could lean back and you could pull the microphone to you and just you know have a have a little bit more of a well. The of thing a is, thing. this thing keeps going down, so you can't keep it. Well, uh, tighten the knob. (laughs) I can't. The elbow doesn't work. Remember? Well, uh, okay. So I can't actually. Do you want me to? I can't. Do you want me to come over and adjust your microphone? I'll just hold it. I'll just hold it. Okay. All right. All right. Can you hear me though? I can hear you just fine, and it and it works better when you're right on the microphone. That's how Mm. that. That's how it works. All right. So what? Well, the text that I sent was, uh, talking genre. Where um, inspired kind of your generation of filmmakers and stuff, or to inspire kids to love sci-fi, as to where my generation kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like we don't we don't have we just have the sequels and the prequels, and we don't really have anything very original. And when we did, like there was like a brief era where we had something good and then it just became dumb, stupid kid crap. Yeah. Or way too political. And I don't know. I, I didn't really flush out this idea. <laughs> so how do you fix it? Well, that's part of the discussion. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Michael, Michael's coming in. Uh, he says he will engage Junior on this topic. So, Michael, welcome to the program. Good to have you here. Hi. Hi. Well, being being Mr. Gabby again. Uh, for, uh, first off, uh, your son is named James, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, Citizen James, mate, I hope you've had a pleasant solar cycle, and the next one will be just as uh, just as productive. Well, thank you. 
See, and I got away with giving you a happy birthday without doing it. <laughs> now, um, the th the thing I was going to ask then is, uh, let let's do some uh, let us do this like some exploring then, because I have a son who's uh, twenty two years old, and his his interests are more in terms of gaming in that. So it's not um, so the thing, and it's what he's gotten into and. Uh, as they say, uh, I, I live in Chicago, which is not a, not the uh, uh, safest place. Well, I'm hmm. I don't live in the safest neighborhood in the city, but uh, he li he lives in very safe suburbs. And I know yeah. you're out in uh, uh, what is it, uh, Kansas? So um, I have. So let's start out with. Sure, you said you don't have any. Um, you said that. You, there aren't any sources of inspiration in sci-fi in that. And then you have a few and then they turn into crap. Well, let's start with that. What, what did you enjoy as a, as, as a sci-fi, as a sci-fi influence? Well, growing up, of course you had everything that my dad showed me. Greatest American hero, some Battlestar Galactica before I got grounded and we never went back to it. Star Trek, Star <laughs> Wars. It's, we're coming, we're coming to that. We're coming to that. I'm um, even, I'm even then, older than your dad though. That's the thing. I'm 59. <laughs> but when it so, came to... So I, we, we overlap, but the thing is, I know even older... I mean, I personally experienced even older stuff than him, mm -hmm. so... Well, when it came to my cartoons and stuff, because when it came to mm -hmm. sci-fi for the my generation, kind of, it's more animated stuff back then. Yeah. So you had the original Ben Ten, which was creative and it was good. You had a show yeah, called. Yeah, I, I watched uh, that. That was oh, that was a hey, thing my son liked too. You careful? You okay? <laughs> um, then you had a show that not a lot of people talk about called uh, Secret Saturdays, which was yeah. a biracial kid and actually showed a biracial family, and it was about them hunting down cryptids. Failed, like nobody even talks about it anymore. But it was such a good show you Never had generator okay. you had generator rex they were all on this friday night block it was a kid he was hispanic and it was about him with mechanical powers it was really good but again kind of falls into obscurity have you heard of it not i've heard of i've i've actually watched ben 10 that was something i watched that with my yeah. son he really did like that um uh, cause he, uh, like I said, he's 22. So he, mm. uh, he's a little, he turned 22 in July. So he's older, a little older, but he's in that same time frame with you. Uh, so, I watched that with him a lot. So he had Benton um, and then Benton became, uh, it, it, there it, were, what was that? There were sequel. The, I interrupt a lot. I, I have to control myself. And then there, I, I, I real I realized then there were sequel, sequel shows and each one in a sense, um, up the ante, I guess you could say, uh, kind which of. is a tendency. Well, then they rebooted it. So, so many shows got rebooted, and it followed the Teen Titans Go thing. Because Teen Titans was such an incredible show, and then they okay. did Teen Titans Go, and everything had to be rebooted like that. It had been 10 like that. So it's all fart jokes and stupid and just dumb. And I just have to th sit there and think, my generation had such smart cartoons. Why did it have to get 
dumb. <laughs> okay, well that 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 shows the um that kind of show that does show the influences that your dad would probably know the uh those were those were all on what uh Cartoon Network and Toonami yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, cuz I remember Ben 10 was on uh uh, Cartoon Network, and uh, so was uh, Teen Titans. So yep. was uh, Teen Titans Go, uh, which um, yeah, my my son didn't really get into that so much. So, where um, where do you think you know from your from your point of view? Uh, has there been there haven't been too many good sources then? What, what if and that now we're for that you're talking about uh your childhood has there been uh child childhood early on has there been anything that's been good that you've liked like let's say in the last uh ten five ten years that that's piqued your interest as far as sci-fi that's new not mm-hmm. the you know again not not your dad not your dad's stuff or my stuff but um, something that you liked genuinely i've liked invincible I think it's okay. a very good comic adaptation. I think it's a really good story, and I think it's really good characters. And I think the people who work on it actually care. Um, I know it's not Dad's wheelhouse, but I've really liked the boys. But again, that's not everybody's cup of tea. I, I um, haven't. I yeah, haven't gotten. I, I love that show. It's all. It's ultra sarcastic and ultra violent. <laughs> but the message is very like important. It. It's it's what? it's if Disney had superheroes, this corrupt corporation that's oversaturated with everything, mm-hmm. and it really shows what goes on inside. And of course, it it's more dramatic because it's superheroes, of course, but it shows you know corruption of companies, and it does show kind of it kind of is a good look on the sa- oversaturation of like superheroes in the market and it, yeah. it it's a very good i don't know it's a very good reflection on all of that well the problem with the boys for me is the this notion that uh the the, the problem the problem i have with the boys is this idea of the subversion that superheroes it's it's a really cynical look at superheroes at at you know the good guys the bad guys and the capes and generationally you have this spinning out of things like the dark knight returns watchmen killing joke and it's it's the it's the logical extension of that it's the logical evolution of that but it's also a it's also a degeneration. It's a it's a it's a it's a corruption of the concept of the superhero because superheroes are supposed to be good guys. And I get it that you know some of it is not going to be. You're going to have people that have got powers that are not superheroes. But at the same time having this having this concept of the corrupt, you know, the corrupt cape to me, is kind of bothersome. But that's the genius of the show. When a character is truly good, it may, because we kind of... I'm going to do the thing. We live in a society (laughs) where people who genuinely try to do good constantly feel just defeated and stuff because you look at the world around you 
and it doesn't really feel like you can make a change. And that's the beauty of the good characters in the show is that they keep going. This guy can laser me in half and kill me, but I don't care. It's yeah. not the right thing. And the right thing needs to be done. Right. And it's well, part of that come I was going to say with with the boys specifically um because cuz that falls into my wheelhouse of uh comic books and stuff. The guy who did that is uh this uh is Garth Innes who is uh no besides, you know, the boys. He also um he also ended up doing uh, nine a nine year stint or so some yeah nine ten years something like that uh, I, uh, on the uh, comic book The Punisher. Oh okay. <laughs> During, in, in you know and so the thing is it's um and his the characterization that he wrote for that is the, again is, yeah you know the the Punisher is the Punisher is is you know is out for is out for uh you know revenge and vengeance he's not out to uh he's not out to save the day he's out to punish the wicked and right. his way of you know without a without any opportunity uh for redemption you have been judged uh as it were and you are and you are a dead man uh when you and you will be when he gets around to you the other thing that he did was um uh the other thing was that he did uh this series called preacher with uh, oh, okay. uh, uh yeah. in comic books which uh got turned in, which is fun which is equal to um to uh Lucifer and uh Sandman and and all of that that storyline I'm not sure if you if you do comic books but um basic, basically uh Preacher is in the same area of uh in the same area of the Vertigo stuff which involves okay, uh, yeah, which yeah. involves the idea of the uh the, the idea that you know you've got the supreme god sitting around and basically kind of being useless and the only two and um and, and what happens is that uh lucifer is running around trying you know tr trying to get over the fact that you know what i'm retired <laughs> uh you you all make your own messes so um from those sources you could see he's a little bit circuit he's a little bit cynical to start with okay, um yeah. So I'm saying that that's the uh, that that influence has been running. That influence started a long time ago, and you're seeing the end point of uh, end point of it in a sense because now you're seeing the adaptation um, from when it's turned. Now that is a vi you know an audio visual medium, a TV show. You know um, that that's what I want wanted to point out that it's not so much. It's not. Ex I, I guess my point. I'm. It's not exactly that. It's new so to speak but it's certainly it's certainly been presented to a new audience uh and in a in a format that's digestible for for that new audience right so where does the where does the superhero medium where does the superhero idea go from here in a in a post boys po post you know, nearing the apocalypse type of uh, of environment. What? What? How does how does the superhero story evolve? Uh, because Marvel is faltering. We're gonna reboot again of the DC stuff. So, brand new Superman, brand new Batman, 
new probably a new Wonder Woman. Uh, Jason Momoa shifts over to play Lobo. I mean, who, who who knows what that that looks like? But how do you how do you continue? Because I honestly I didn't think that the superhero bubble was going to last this long. But how do you evolve the superhero story so it's still something that appeals to an audience? What what do you do next? Well, you stop it from devolving first. <laughs> well, I mean, the bo- um, the boys is a devolving. Well, I'm it, I'm it, at like it's Marvel and DC. It's yeah. all, I mean, I mean, just going to crap. Yeah. Um, stronger characters. I mean, that's that's one of the biggest problems. Is just strong characters and good writers, and. Honestly, to answer your question, I mean, when it comes to media and stuff, I mean, you eliminate politics. (laughs) I mean, that's your first goal. Because politics, unfortunately, is influencing everything. Yeah. And it's like the cartoons I grew up with versus the cartoons now. Everything's dumbed down. Well, and Disney's been doing that for decades. I feel disrespected as someone... As an audience member, I feel stupid for wasting my time on some of this new stuff because it's not interesting. It's not fascinating. It doesn't engage me. It doesn't make me think. It's just crap that you turn on in the background because, I mean, you you had the 90s, early 2000s superhero world we had Daredevil and Blade, and 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 it, the superheroes weren't the thing. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the MCU era for the first ten years, where it's the thing. And right now, I outside of the boys and Invincible, I don't think superheroes are the thing right now anymore. Are they played out, or they're just not being not being handled right? Do you think both? How, I mean, you were saying earlier, how much crap do you need from Marvel? Yeah. All the shows, I'm, all the movies. Um, oh, ahead, I, th- I was going to say that I think, well, the the thing that came from it is that in part it's a, um, it, part of it again is the translation of visual medium. And what happens is that uh, the story that, the solid the solid characters and the stories are are more there. Um, the le- the less that you have the less that you have to wow the um, that you have to wow the audience. Um, so, uh, f- for example, the um, uh, I really liked the Punisher movie from the night. 19- 1980s <laughs> even though even though it Dolph Lundgren um was the um main actor mm-hmm. the th- the thing the th- the thing with that particular story was oh it was it it you got engaged into the characters with that the same thing the same thing with blade blade um you know f- by modern standards some of the special effects are kind of like me but um <laughs> But what happens is that you had um, pretty you had pretty solid characterizations, and you knew what the you knew what the um, you knew what the stakes were uh, for the uh, for the heroes involved, 
you knew uh you knew dr karen yeah that i remember her name was karen dr karen um had to find a cure for herself where she was gonna go she was gonna go turn vampire blade blade hit blade um needed some kind of um some sort of new uh formula uh, as well as fighting um uh, because otherwise things were gonna go things were gonna go badly and and then there was the part about whistler who uh was like all right you know i'm gonna keep doing this till i'm dead and then uh How's it go? The movie's over twenty years old, so I think you know by by the end of the movie he's dead. Don't uh, we won't talk about the sequels, <laughs> but <laughs> by the end of the first by the end of the first movie he you know you you know he's just basic, he's just an ordinary human um, who happens to do a lot of uh, who happens to do a lot of pre planning, um, and some of the other hero hero movies and shows. Um, on their own forcibly drag you into person or street level stakes um the as they call them the street level heroes and that even spider even spider-man is not um i don't consider a street level hero he's a little too he's a little too um fantastical entertaining certainly but fantastical and i think that that's where um I think that that's where they need to re-engage the audience uh, is that they need to stop trying to make uh, they need to stop making uh, trying to make the next uh, Thanos or MCU. They, yeah. they were enjoyable, but they need to they need to engage the audience again uh, through characterization, through characterization well, and stakes that they can understand or not that, that they're dumb. But I mean that they could feel a personal involvement in. They need everybody, really, especially Star Wars. Just needs to go back to doing movies. That's it. That's well, it. Well, no, 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 no. Well, no. well on, I mean, no, there's because... a couple. Well, okay. Wait, 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 wait. Because Let there me... are some. Wait. There Hold are some... on. Okay. Let them go. There are so many shows that should be movies, and here's why: this whole eight episode crap, six episode crap, week hmm. to week, it's not worth it. It's no, not worth th- it. That that and is correct. Yes. If you look at okay. Let me let me elaborate what I mean. You look at oh, okay. Um, everything that's on there can be a movie, and it's all filler crap. And the only if you look right now, the best show on Disney Plus, and I will agree, is Percy Jackson. It's the only one, and it's doing better than all the Marvel stuff. And Captain America Falcon. Oh, no, Falcon Winter Soldier. Falcon and the Winter Soldier. That could have been a movie. Should have been a movie. She-Hulk should never have been done. $220 million. That's so stupid. Well, Not for for that price, but I really did like She-Hulk. You're half... For for seven and a half episodes, anyways. But (laughs) James, you're half right. There are stories that have been told as TV series... Mm That should have been movies. You're right. We cut it down. It's a two-hour thing. Obi-Wan Kenobi, good example of that. You know, we've got a oh. fan edit. It should never be made. Oh, it should. <laughs> that that with with withstanding. I mean, you know, we we all agree that Obi-Wan Kenobi never should have been made in the first place. But if you're going to make that movie, if you're going to tell that story, like the fan edit, you could do it in two and a half hours. The original idea of Kenobi being the guy what's looking over and protecting the kid in the desert 
you kind of got that subverted by the forces female crowd that came in and said, well, instead of Luke, he's got to he's got to be protecting Leia. And that that ruins the whole thing there. But there are some stories that are the two hour movie that need more. I mean, well, (laughs) as much as I hate to say Rebel Moon, uh, just to give you an example, Rebel Moon if you're going to do four hours, go ahead and give me those four hours. But if you can tell a little bit more of a fleshed out story, because director's cut is going to give us, say, six hours, then give me a six hour series that gives you the time to, to, to give me material that helps me invest in these characters. Because I'm watching Rebel Moon and I don't care about any of them. And there's not enough space, and I know because a lot of that's been cut out so it can be put back in the director's cut, which is a dumb tactic. It's Snyder. It's Snyder. It's it's because he knows people will do it. Well, and and he's doing the PG-13 cut because Netflix asked for it. Mm. If he's going to sit there and say, no, I have an R-rated film, and if somebody comes in and says, well, yeah, but we want to make it PG-13, he either says, okay, it's now a PG-13 film, or he walks away because he can't make the movie yeah. he wants to make. Don't don't compromise and 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 give me both, because one becomes watered down, the other one becomes a money grab. And to also say, studios just need to back off. Yeah, studios do not know what their audience want. I don't. I don't even know why studios make the decisions they do because they 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 they. They never make the right decision. I mean, probably I will, the best I, example, Multiverse of Madness. That was, be, it was written, the writers hadn't seen WandaVision. No. The studio <coughs> made Raimi do so many reshoots and recuts and all of that. Well, and that goes back to the question of who's in charge. Yeah, or because, Solo. How many directors it, did that go through? Uh, just two. I mean, you had you had Lord Miller, and then you had Ron Ron Howard. No, then what was the Star Wars movie that had like eight different directors like cycling through? No, um, most of them have had at least two, because uh, you have you have the one that starts it, and then the one that finishes it, and then the mm-hmm. one that comes in and fixes it. Um, if, but you have if you want to have fun for a mess, mm-hmm. uh, uh, James. I would suggest that you watch uh, that you watch the 1960s James Bond movie Casino Royale. <laughs> <laughs> that had that uh, that had how many directors? Uh, seven. Yeah, something like that. Casino Royale. And they kept yeah. and they kept the footage. They kept the footage from from uh, most of them, if I recall correctly. Wasn't that the and one so- with the the one actor who played Bond once and never returned? No, that was well. That was okay. Wait, that 60s, was though. Okay, you're thinking about On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is George Lazenby. Yes, yes, I am. This Casino Royale that that Michael's talking about here is not officially a James Bond Casino Royale, and it's got, I believe, David Niven playing Bond because he said and Woody right? Allen. And Woody <laughs> Allen is James I'm Bond. It, sorry, it is. What? It is not an official. Uh, Cubby Broccoli, uh, Eon, 
production. No, but it, but it's an, it's an it's an example of the it's an it's a prime example of the too many uh too many cooks spoil the broth I, idea because it went through it went through that that many uh that many directors and that many different um visions of things it's like it tries to be serious and then it tries to be a woody young an early woody Allen comedy and then it tries to do this and it tries to do that and so like what well, how's it go so watching it um watching it is even uh in my opinion is is even worse than uh let's say multiverse of madness where i, I don't know i kind of like multiverse of madness as a story by itself i try to look at all of them as a um like if this was a movie by itself isolated from from the MCU or isolated from whatever other franchise would i be entertained by it and then i go back and also look at it and say hey now now that i've given it thought that way does this thing make sense to be part of the greater uh greater franchise so um i don't know i like multiverse of madness uh i'm sorry um, i hate that movie <laughs> cuz i do know about like you know well, the, the, okay. The problem, but the, I mean, I did, I, I did like it, and I do like Sam Raimi's work. That's the other. Well, that's thing. that's the thing. I think Sam Raimi is actually very. But good. it's not, it's not a good MCU movie. It's not a good MCU movie, and it's not a good, it's not a good Sam Raimi movie because it tries to do too many things. Because again, just like say, too many cooks in the kitchen on this thing, where yeah. Sam Raimi has a specific idea of what he wants to do with this. You know, mm -hmm. this this could have been. Marvel's entry into the horror space in movies. Now we got the Werewolf by Night, and we got you know Moon Knight, and mm -hmm. and that's a little into that, uh, just a little. But you know, Werewolf by Night certainly is. But mm -hmm. Multiverse of Madness could have been because Sam Raimi, you could have done a whole lot in the horror aspect of this, and really dug into the nightmare fuel of the multiverse. I didn't say it was good. I said I liked it. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, that's that's true. But you could you could have done something with this. The problem is, again, this same kind of thing with, with Rebel Moon. You know, Snyder wants to make an R-rated film. Netflix wants a PG-13 film. Marvel, same kind of thing. Raimi wants to make a certain type of film. And you could easily do an R-rated horror Marvel film, but Marvel says, no, 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 it's got to be this, and it's got to be fit into this, and it's got to fit into that, and it's got to have this, and this connective tissue, and this connective tissue. This. And like James says, you have people that have absolutely no idea what the setup was in WandaVision, so you don't get a payoff for mm -hmm. for what what transpired in WandaVision. There's no payoff for that in Multiverse of Madness. The other thing that complicates all of that is the fact that the entire schedule of releases of which movie came next mm -hmm. all got thrown out the window because of pandemic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everything got shifted and everything got thrown out of whack because one's further along to the next one and oh, we got to switch this to this and you know ant-man moved and and spider-man moved and multiverse of madness moved and you know, all, all these different things now this this very carefully crafted house of cards that we got with the infinity saga 
the next door neighbors are in a house that's made of sand and mud, and it's kind of a mishmash, and we'll try to make it into some kind of a shape, and it didn't work because internal forces, external forces, whatever whatever is going on there. But phase four has been a mess. Yes, and, it has. And Multiverse of Bands is just one aspect of that. It could have been a very good movie. Yes. Hey, and James. Yes. Um, uh, could, uh, since you were saying that there were, uh, since you were saying that there were, that there isn't uh, good sci-fi, um, and we do, co- and uh, Jason does cover uh, other things, uh, you know, besides we also have horror, we have fantasy, um, once, once in a while we'll go, uh, he'll, not we, he, he <laughs> will go into things. Uh, very presumptive of me sorry um what do you and i i though have asked this on different panels but most of the other um most of the other panels when i've had a chance to go um blather on um are run by people in my generation or your uh, my generation or younger like your dad's um culture casino and stuff like that um but i rarely ever got to hear uh younger people's point of view michael what, you you and i are in the same you, generation there sir you're 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 not that much older than i am <laughs> and real quick real quick not not to interrupt i saw i saw how's it go i star, saw star trek first run so <laughs> that's, I, that's, I would like to say though i'm being a little hyperbolic when i'm saying there's no good sci-fi i mean there are no, some no, good well, stuff then that's, and the, then that's the thing i what, highly recommend um, the new iss by the way, I just need to get what, that out Oh, there. you've seen that? Oh, okay. it's so good. Is it? It's actually creative. I hear that the ending breaks down. <sighs> oh, it, I... You want to write a review? <laughs> I'm. You know what? Maybe. The the ending... Well, I don't want to spoil it. Okay. Anything. No. All right. I... We'll talk. We'll talk. Um, my question was. My question was to get the th- to get into it. Yeah. yeah. For for you, what uh, for you, James? What do you see as your um, as uh, you know? I've a- I've asked. What do you think are upcoming? What do you think are upcoming franchise type things, IPs, and that that would be of interest? And the thing is that that when I get the when I get the answers from uh, from your dad here and from Culture Casino and others, it's it's usually what they see. That's in the that's what's in the trades and, and stuff like that, or that's my opinion, anyways, Jason. But um, w- I'll ask you. You're you're the one that supposedly is the target audience, um, and bad decisions or not um, on on the part of the studios. What do you see as franchise things that, man, that should be a TV series, and it's not. You know, you you either read it. Or you've played a video game of it, like like my son got into. Um, my son uh, uh, w- was very much into Five Nights Five Night at Fr- Five Nights at Freddy's, right? And he was absolutely swooning when the, when. Um, and I was like, "What? What is this Five Nights at Freddy's thing?" And then I and then I learned and then I learned from different. Um, uh, then I learned from different sources what it was about. I was like, "Oh, so what do you think? What do you think is?" should be uh, made into a series or made into a movie because well, it's not in a movie format yet. I'm trying to think. I think there's stuff. 
Well, there's some stuff that I mentioned earlier that were shows and stuff that need to come back. And, Dad, you weren't in the room for this, but I I am pushing for Secret Saturday, as always. I want that to come <laughs> back so badly because it was, it was, I mean, I think it's the only well, cartoon that I grew up on as a kid that had a biracial family. And, and now, you know, you with know, cryptids, it would work. It would work. You, you know that they are... Uh, there is there is talk. I don't know how far along this is, so don't don't hold me to this. But there is talk about an adult Ben Ten. Please, no, no. There, here's there the is thing. talk. I'm not. I don't know how far along it is. It's I don't know if it's a be. serious thing. But there is talk of an uh, of an animated follow up series with Ben Ten as a grown up. I've been wanting a Ben 10K show for so long, I'd but saying. it has to be Man of Action. It cannot be the guys who did um, Ultimate Alien or Omniverse. It was all crap. Um, a grown-up Ben 10 would be You're good. Right. My but son I hope, would agree with you. <laughs> but I hope it's not sad, depressed Ben. You know, all angry. He's divorced. He's an alcoholic. He wants to kill himself or something. He's all sad. I want I want my Ben if we're doing Ben Ten as an adult, I want him to be a hero. Mm. I want him to be my hero that I grew up with. Yeah. That's also well, you, a trope that's ruining current things is bringing back heroes. Well apparently apparently this is this is a thing. This is uh here's comicbook.com with the uh with the uh story. Ben Ten could easily make an adult series as creator. Duncan Rillo apparently did an interview recently. Uh, he says he has he hasn't worked on the series since 2016. Reboot came to a close, but Rollo has more than a few ideas when it comes to bringing Ben Tennyson back to the small screen. In Ben's history, he has been first and foremost a leading man in the series is for younger audiences. But Duncan hopes that the universe might make a return with a more mature focus. While Rollo hasn't confirmed that Ben Ten has a new series in the works. The creator has plenty of ideas when it comes to the classic Cartoon Network franchise. On top of hoping to see a more mature iteration of the series, Duncan is also interested in working on a project that will revisit Ben 10,000. Ben 10K! Here's what the animator had to say. He says, Ben 10K is a great character and deserves their own feature. Yep. Uh, asked about it, he, sees, he seems to be on board with creating a series for Adult Swim. He says, it would be great to have a high-stakes show that offered more mature themes. Not so interested in gore or sexual content, right. thank goodness, but dealing with emotional, social, and political elements that the MCU uh -oh. movies deal with would now, be exciting. Hold on, hold on, hold on. With the politics, they do, in, in the Benton K episode from the original series, they do have aliens living amongst people. Yeah. That'd be a cool concept to do. Is maybe yeah. well. Well, now here's here's my bit, question. Well, it depends on what iteration you're doing and how true like soon it is because there was like I don't know too much, but Max lost his arm. There was a war that went on, and it was uh, part of when the aliens were like becoming part of society. Right, I guess. So but if you're going to do if you're going to do an adult Ben Ten, a grown up Ben Ten, right. you're going to be past a lot of that. But Ben can be if if maybe it's politics and stuff. He can be the representative for different aliens because he's got could the be. that be cool. Could be actually. he could be you know speaker for the dead type of thing. 
I had an idea of, of being making it uh, interesting. Would you mind? Would you mind if? Uh, would you mind if, if Ben uh, had if they did the new show kind of as a passing the torch kind of thing? I want and, Kinten and, so bad. And, and, ben, yes. and Ben has become and the thing because you tickled me with one idea and that was um, that he's old and fat and this and that. And I'm like, well, mm. what if he's happy and fat like his grandpa was? <laughs> <laughs> Remember his grandpa, the plumber. Yeah, <laughs> no, like... he's got to be stoic. He's always no, no, no. Be stoic. No, no. Gwen becomes the the no. old fat the old fat character. Ben Ben becomes no, the old no, fat. no, no. You do that. You <laughs> do him... that with Kevin because Kevin was originally the villain in the future. He'd be the fun uncle. That's what it is. Yeah, well, I can see that. I can see. It. But let me let me Sorry. let me <laughs> let me dovetail off of Michael's question here for a yeah. second, and then we'll wrap up here. Why does it need to be a franchise? Why does it need to be something that is adapted from something that already exists? I want original stuff. And I again, want stuff that we haven't seen before. ISS. I want new things. <laughs> yeah, that's not a problem. The thing is that what? you had the thing is that without uh unless you're going to unless you're you Jason or or, or James are going to supply the idea the um for it the the thing is that what we have to work with for discussion is things that already exist. I'd like to see like a show like fill in the blank, you know, or I'd like to see blank property or something like that adapted into a into a two hour movie or a four hour epic or or, or whatever. Right. That yeah. that's the thing because the true creativity that would mean that we're <laughs> we're doing we're doing Hollywood's job for them. Well, half the time we are anyway when we critique all this stuff and come up with new, uh, new ways to do it. Mrs. Boss, you have a thought. Well, I was just saying earlier t you were talking about, you know, how everything we we get all these prequels to yes. shows, movies, whatever, and we don't need all that. And it's kind of like what you guys are saying and Michael sitting here is saying is that there's a lack of creativity that's happening because when you look at it, why do you get the prequels? Because we already know what's going to happen. It's like Andor. We know he's going to die. They don't have to worry wait, about wait, figuring... Wait, what? Andor oh. dies? Sorry, guys. Spoilers. Spoilers. But um, the thing is, what is this that we already that know out? that he's going to die. So the people who are writing this, they just have to fill in the space. Mm -hmm. There's not that... Okay, now that he's dead, what happens Although afterward? You type can, well, you can be that's making, a bad one. To yeah, but use, you could be you making I mean. that argument about the prequel trilogy too. We didn't need those. We didn't. No, but, but, but yeah, exactly. Or a Black Widow movie after you've killed the character. Well, that's a whole another <clears throat> kettle of fish. But she's already dead, so you don't have to worry about it going somewhere <laughs> and finding out what happens to them in the life afterward well the, and the that's problem where the creativity comes in the problem with black widow <laughs> is it, is supposed to be done it was earlier. late yeah. they should have done the black widow movie a good five six eight years prior to when they actually did well you know oh, women it takes a while for us to get ready so we're always late to the party <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, we can thank we can thank Ike Perlmutter for that. I guess I I don't know. All right, that's going to do it for us today, Michael. Thanks very much for jumping in and, and having that having that conversation with the youngling over there. I can't really call you a youngling anymore, though, can no, you I? Can. He's a teen. Uh, he's I'm not. 
I can't do that. I, yeah. I can't do that. I can't do that with my own son, except once in a while uh, when I'm chatting with him, I'll call him my spawn. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll have, we'll have, well, I'd figure out. Uh, like the Cthulhu, next, so. the new thing. All right. Uh, that's it for us today, folks. If you have a comment, you're here on replay. Uh, you'd like to send us an email live from the bunker at sidebyforme.com, or you can leave a comment on the videos. There's all of our social media platforms where you can find us and connect with us there. Of course, do uh, find us on the Discord uh, in addition. So all of those links are in the thing. And uh, the links to uh, Will's book, his site uh, of the unraveling, uh, that's in there as well in the notes. Thanks very much for being here, folks. I do appreciate it. I am very happy uh, that we are all back and able to have these conversations. And more to come. Uh, tomorrow on the program, Arvid Nelson will be here, and we are going to be talking about his new comic book project that he's working on now. He's also got a, a YouTube channel. Uh, with an interview program where he talks to different comics creators and such. So we'll be talking to him tomorrow. So join us for that. Same bat time, same bat channel. We start at 1 p.m. Eastern here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. That's going to do it for us, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. But God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2024, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.